Sad news reached Mid-South Moments HQ just hours after myself and this week's guest host Dan Phillips recorded the Mid-South element of this week's podcast. John Francis Walker, better known to fans all over the world as Mr. Wrestling 2, passed away on June 9th at the age of 85. Mr. Wrestling 2 was involved in one of the key angles in the early days of this podcast, with his mentor-student relationship with Magnum TA an eventual turn a huge part of the show in late 1983 and early 1984. It was similar in a slow-burning way to the Randy Savage and Hulk Hogan angle in 1988-89 and also Triple H and Batista in 2004-2005. It was a fantastically executed television storyline with lots of little indicators, but they held off and held off pulling the trigger expertly. Wrestling 2 was previously a big star in Atlanta prior to his run in Mid-South and was also very well known as being President Jimmy Carter and his mother's favourite wrestler, starting in the days when Jimmy was governor. Two was invited to Carter's inauguration in 1977 but declined when he was informed by the Secret Service that he would not be able to attend and take his designated second row seat in front of such superstars of the time as Bob Hope while wearing his mask. Two had a run in the WWF after they purchased Georgia Championship Wrestling following Mid-South and thereafter worked in various places including Continental but had largely retired by the end of the summer of 1987 albeit he did come back for a show and tag match in Hawaii age 72. He was a former two-time Mid-South North American champion among 18 other career championships. Very best wishes to his family, friends and fans, and may he rest in peace. So now on to the July 1st, 1984 episode of Mid-South Wrestling. That's episode 251 on YouTube. And we have Boyd Pierce and Bill Watts at the desk. And Boyd runs through what we have in store this week. We'll see highlights of the street fight in the Superdome between the Junkyard Dog and Butch Reed. The sensational girls will be here in action, plus Ernie Ladd and the sensational, overuse of the word sensational from Boyd Pierce, new tag team, The Fantastics. Um, so Bill Watts says we have another Superdome show coming up this year. Uh, and also he recaps last week when they congratulated Terry Taylor for winning the television titles from Crusher Khrushchev. Uh, but he had not retrieved the championship medal as of yet from Dr. Death Steve Williams. We cut to ringside with Jim Ross, Terry Taylor and Steve Williams, where we are promised that Williams will present Taylor with the title. Um, both are sporting a chino trouser and polo shirt look with Steve Williams in baby blue and Taylor in a nice yellow. What did you think of their outfit choices here? Well, I think first of all, you've you you seem to have skipped uh, Boyd's outfit. I have actually, uh, yes, yeah. Sorry, go uh, please, please which, fill us in. Which I've just put here. You probably need sunglasses for it. Was even even in the YouTube sort of uh, slightly pixelated bad quality bad image quality. That suit really really shined. Uh, <laughs> it was a purple one, was it? Yeah, it was quite. It was like a. It looked like a blue shine. Well, it, it just really shiny. I mean, that's that's all I could really, and then, and then just to clarify, in in contrast, um, the gentleman with him, which was Bill Watts, right? Yep. He looked like a sort of a I don't know how to put this, an alcoholic. Um, <laughs> <laughs> he was dressed. You had you had in essence one very shiny dapper suit, and then a shirt, large collar, jumper, buttons undone. Looked like yeah. he's just rolled out of the pub. Um, I always think if you've got a tie on, more. just put it, just do it up or take it off. That's my view <laughs> yeah, on ties. Yeah, yeah. It's like, there's no, there shouldn't be an in-between. I hate it when people turn up to church bit of a wedding with like that. It's like, just fucking do it up. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so, so, sorry, I, I had to just, just divulge into their outfits. No, p- please do. Yeah, but, so, so Steve the... Williams has got white trousers on here, which I thought, um, I mean, I think he's going heel, but that was an interesting look for us. It were head of the guy. times. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Times. Yeah. Um, what stood out to me wasn't just the outfits it was also um, very well I think the Mid-South does really well and all, and all, the, all the sort of shows I've watched 
from that is the, the, it's very always very clear to see who the heel is. Yes, yeah. And who the, so, for example, Terry Taylor, when they introduced him, screams everywhere. When they done Steve Williams, it was just silence. Yeah. Like like now, even now, you will get noise for both. So you know you might get screaming for the for you know, the baby face. You might get screaming and and for the hill you might get booing or anything. It was just silence. And I, mm. to me, that impacted more. Like, whoa, this guy is really not liked. Um, no, and I think the the crowd knew. I think the crowd was was intelligent enough to know from the from the week before that Williams is moving from face to heel. So I, I think you're right. He yeah. got a reaction because they were like, well, actually, what is this? What is this going to be? Um, yeah. Yeah. And and he and he he plays on this more here. I mean, this is this is pretty much a full on turn. Mm. So Williams had this medal from Krusha Khrushchev, which was already a little bit questionable. Um, and Ross says that he's going to basically present it to to Taylor, which he doesn't end up doing. Um, he said he's had a week to think about it, and the years he's been in pro wrestling, you've got to take to get somewhere. Um, Williams says he's worked very hard and he's got nothing against Taylor and he's proud of him and he's glad he beat Khrushchev. Um, but he says he's going to put the medal up on the post and he's got to go through him to get it. I mean, and then they were a little slightly odd in spite of offering him to do that. He just walks off. Um, so Taylor says he doesn't know what's wrong with Williams, but everything he's ever achieved in wrestling, he's had to fight for uh, Williams in for the fight of his life. Uh, what did you think about this, um, this, this bit between so, Williams and Taylor before it gets, it changes to Buddy Landell basically. So, so I, yeah, I was interested in your views on this as uh, the wrestling guru and man that's watched a lot of a lot of wrestling episodes because really, really strangely in, in sort of uh, in line with what's going on, what's recently happened in AEW actually, the keeping of the medal or what's recently happened in AEW with the uh, championship belt when you haven't won it, I find really strange. Mm. Um, like he's kept the medal, but he's not the champion. Having the medal, it's not like, you know, finders, keepers are, are yeah. now. This. So, okay, I don't really understand. I, I never, I, like recently in AEW, um, I think uh, Brody Lee took it from John Moxley, for example, yep. for, for a few weeks. I was always like, well, what's the, what's the point? I understand maybe when when uh, the, 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 the champion might get beaten up outside of, you know, outside of a match and the person might hold up the belt or the medal as like a, such a soccer significance like you know that i'm going to take this from you mm. but keeping it makes no sense to me whatsoever you've just got a belt that you isn't yours yeah um, and it was just strange that that's obviously happened 2020 x amount of months ago and also in 1984 um and i just wondered is this from what you've seen is this a common thing I, I don't really get it I don't um, get what Yeah, from, from time to time. The only one I can think of that, and I'm sure there's probably other better examples, the one that springs to mind is I think The Rock ended up throwing uh, maybe Steve Austin's Intercontinental title off a bridge, I think. Or maybe it's actually, no, it's the other way around. I think Steve Austin threw The Rock's title off a bridge. I remember that. Yeah, um, but it's about, that's not a great example. But they have used, the, the rest of the companies have used this from time to time. I think it might, it more, probably might work more. If a, if a heel beat a babyface champion by a count out or something like that then mm. i think you could make it you could make a um sort of an argument but the, the, the thing that was odd here was that williams was still playing a face when he took the, took the medal from crush christian though at the time i understand that all any basically they could do anything to these characters playing russians and you know you they could have assaulted them in the street and you know run off with their wives and they still would have been the baby faces in this right, okay. so it's like they could do whatever they wanted but yeah i don't yeah. i don't particularly like it and I, but but i don't mind the way i don't mind actually that 
being said, where they where this is going um, in terms of turning Williams to, to be one of the lead heels, presumably in the promotion going forward. So yeah, I didn't I didn't mind that, but yeah, I, I know what you mean. I think just taking a title, it's just like. It's like a kid at school taking your pen yes. or something. It's like, it's like a bit petty, isn't it? Um, yeah. Just give it back. Um, so Buddy Landell comes out after Taylor um, leaves and challenges Sonny King to fight him on nationwide TV in front of a million people, he says. Um, they've, got, they've got him resting a geek that week and he can deal with that geek in 10 seconds. And he asks King not to keep the people in suspense any longer. Um, I thought this was a decent promo from Landell um, and unusual for Mid-South to blur the lines in angles here quickly go for one, one another. This is very uh, raw and nitro late 90s where it's wham, bam, on to the next thing rather than letting things... Uh, Mid-South's pretty fast-paced but they don't usually do two things in one segment. What did you think of this little um, Landell promo here? Yeah, I mean, the, the, the geek insult. Yeah. Uh, not something you hear nowadays very often so that was... Uh, that was <laughs> That was an awful tea to hear. Um, yeah, he promos really well, that Landau. And yeah. obviously, I'm sure we'll talk about him more as I would say that he was a very prominent figure in this episode. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Interesting. Rick, Ricky Morton said during one of the sessions with him that he thought Landau was really, really underrated. But yeah, I think he had a lot of personal problems. But I thought it was cracking on the mic here. Really good later on, actually, in the yeah. bit that he does later. Um, yeah. So back, back after the break, Watt says he's seen so many brutal battles, but none so brutal than the street fight between Butch Reed and JYD. Um, and as was customary in street fights back then, both were in street clothes and with Reed dressed in a shirt and tie, which I thought was quite a good touch, given that he's the heel here. Um, and JYD in more customary jeans and T-shirt. And Watson's on commentary in, uh, in post, basically. So he's commentating after the fact and explains they can come dressed as they want. Um, and that this is a lights out rules match. Um, so basically non-sanctioned uh, by Mid-South. And this is a, a storyline trope that hasn't been used for a long time, but obviously has been brought back by AEW a couple of times. Most recently, the Kenny Omega versus John Moxley match that I absolutely hated, but I think you quite quite liked, didn't you? I think that one. <laughs> yeah, I mean, <laughs> one of my notes here is um, <laughs> is that it's a lights out match, so I, I can just picture you wincing the whole time um, during it. I was excited for this because on the last time I think you had me on, I reviewed the promo to this. Oh, great. Okay, yeah, yeah. So I was like, oh, here we go. I get to see the, uh, it's where they've done the sort of, in essence, duplicate pro- promos. Yes, um, yeah. They're both just working out. Um, I, the, the um, it was a brutal match. Yeah. Um, so it was, it was, I don't think anything too, uh, too controversial for no. your uh, for your taste so i'm sure you know um for me it's got to i know you said it's a nice touch to suit i i that was that sort of stood out to me so much i just thought okay so this is a light sound match okay i get that and you can wear what you want <laughs> so he chose a suit i mean <laughs> that's the most practical solution yeah yeah so he chose a suit to what is a massive match uh, and then but it's interesting. Another thing I, I just thought was quite uh, funny, which I don't know if you've picked up on, is he took his belt off, and that belt was deadly. Um, yeah. As in, he would hit him with the belt, but I'm not like he done like the you know, the whipping as you'd expect. But there was, I think, one bit where he just sort of pushed the belt into his face and he like, like, clotheslined him. him with it. Yeah, basically. It, like, yeah, yeah. yeah. But it sort of like knocked him out, and I'm sort of looking at like say like my leather belt collection and I'm not sure any of them <laughs> would have the uh, oomph to do that to a you know a hefty man but um yeah I just thought the suit was a bit of a strange one yeah I um, think it's just it's just, just by the end, booze, I, think I suppose yeah yeah I mean it got all ripped off I think but yeah. yeah I mean it was you know next to nothing there but 
I actually, I really, I really enjoyed it. I, I, I really liked the match. Um, as I say, it was just very, it was just a lot going on. It was all over the place. Um, very good in regards to, as you say, like the hill constantly on top, dominating, yeah, yeah. Um, utilizing his suit. Um, <laughs> yeah. So yeah, I, I like this. I like this. And the and the ending was, yeah. You know, I'm sure you're going to the ending, but. Um, sort of just continue to just kick off. Yeah, no, I thought I thought it was this this was good to see. Um this is probably one of the longer segments they've shown from the Superdome shows which which was good. And also it was it was pretty well filmed as well in terms of um I thought the production values though still not great were uh, were probably a step above um than they they have in previously where you could barely see it, it was almost in darkness. Um, but the end in this one basically JYD goes for a body slam but the ref is too close and gets hit with uh, hit with Reed's legs. Um Landell then tries to interfere but JYD deals with them quickly. Um, JYD has Reed pinned um, when Ernie Ladd interferes with a big leg drop and Reed gets the pinfall. Um, it's interesting sometimes some of these these sort of brutal matches here with Reed sort of busted open and it ends with a leg drop sort of out of nowhere is the thing that that, that ends it, which is which is a bit of a perhaps a bit of a strange finish. But I did like what they did afterwards. So um, the, basically, the three of them try to um, tar and feather JYD, but Sonny King, the Rock and Roll Express, Magnum T and Steve Williams are also all out and they make the save. And then poor Landell ends up being tarred and feathered. So they clearly here wanted to, to keep Reed strong with the actual win, um, but then send the crowd somewhat happy with um, with that ending. The sort of thing that wouldn't really work today. I, I think some of these some of these old finishes just don't work. People on big time shows expect clean finishes, but for 84, this, this I'm sure worked and sent the people home. I'll you know, damn it that Joe Eddie didn't win, but he got a bit of revenge on Landell, but I'll pay to see him and read again. Um, so you, you, you quite like this one. What, what do you think overall of this, yeah, this like, whole segment? I like the ending as well. It added a story to it. It really yeah. like, kept it going. As you said, the tar and feathering is, I mean, that certainly wouldn't happen nowadays. No. But, um, and you also, cause I think they've been using paint, haven't they? I think in recent weeks as they've well. Used so paint a few times. There's, yes. There's a yeah. lot of, yeah, there seems to be, a lot of um, to disrespect a wrestler in mid south. You seem to have to cover them in some sort of substance. Yeah, um, yeah. Luckily, it's just paint and uh, tar and feathers. Uh, but it's um, yeah. So you had that, and then obviously Landell. So he's already been in it once. Then he's, he's obviously this is his second time. Um, I thought that was quite amusing actually. That sort of he's come and got involved, and yet he's the one that's ended up. Yeah, they left it, didn't they? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> just yeah, thought it was just quite like, <laughs> like if you think about when the match started, you wouldn't have thought that this is going to end with Landell, Tyron Feathers at the no, start of the match. You wouldn't have thought no. that was coming at all. So, yeah, I like that. I thought it was good. He, he and, 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 go on, Sorry, go on. No, I was just going to say, and, and I, I, one note I did make was one of the things I've, like you said about Mid South, is it's quick. But the matches are very that tend to be quite short. Yes, this was this was this was like I was like, whoa, this is still going. Yeah, and this is a decent long. length, wasn't it? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. I, I was just thinking that I thought that Landell it reminded me of the sort of situation that Sammy Guevara could find himself in, where like he's the last one out there and he's been humiliated. And he's sort of yeah. the, the one that that that, ta- that takes it. But no, I thought this was a really good segment. Um, so back at the desk after the break, um, Pierce laments that Reed won the match, but JYD won the war. Um, and we have Princess Victoria versus Wendy Richter up next. And Princess Victoria is announced as being one half of the Women's World Tag Team Champions. So uh, here's a bit of a history lesson for you about these that you never wanted about these uh, <laughs> these these 
uh, these world tag team titles. So the story of the title is that Velvet McIntyre and Princess Victoria were the, re- were the reigning, easy for me to say, NWA Women's World Tag Team Champions. And that's a championship that had been in existence from the early 50s. Um, and upon the WWF's withdrawal from the National Wrestling Alliance, they were recognized as the first WWF Women's Tag Team Champions when these two signed with them on a non-exclusive deal. So the team's first match in the WWF took place on April the 4th, 1984 in Rochester, New York. Um, a little bit odd, and I, and I did try and do a little bit of research on this, and I can't quite, I can't, I couldn't quite find out. But these two actually appeared in the AWA, which also wasn't part of the National Wrestling Alliance at that time, and was completely separate to WWF. And um, that's unclear whether the belts were defended. And apparently, they did defend those championships, which were just called the Women's Tag Team Championships, but were under the moniker of the WWF at that time on the Superdome show. Um, and they also wrestled several times uh, in Florida for that, that, that territory, again, completely separate from the WWF, um, before a run predominantly in the Northeast um, with, with the World Wrestling Federation in the late summer. Um, sadly, Princess Victoria suffered a career ne- career-ending neck injury um, later this year on September the 1st, 1984. Um, and then Velvet McIntyre remained champion with a replacement, Desiree Peterson, um, and that was considered a second rate for McIntyre. So that's a bit of a background about the women's titles. Um, it's just, it's just, I think it really shows about this time period how odd 1984 was that something like that was still happening. Because a year later, you're not getting the WWF anything on anywhere. Um, it may be the odd Japan tour, but certainly nothing in North America. Um, so Bill Watts explains the flags in the background are representative of the Mid-South area, um, and Jim Cornette makes his way down to ringside with a large trophy. Um, Watts recaps Richter attacking Hacksaw Jim Duggan in the Superdome with Ether, which, leads, which led to the Midnight Express retaining their tag team championships. Uh, and Bill Watts says that in pro wrestling, the fans can get closer to the action than in any other sport. Um, Richter wins this one with a roll-up while holding Victoria's tight. I thought this was you know, decent, fine, back and forth. Uh, what did you think of this match before we get on to the post-match angle here? Yeah, I mean, you're, meant, you're using the word women's a lot, whereas I think you're finding in Mid-South it's girls. Wrestling. Oh, yes, that is true. The sensational uh, girls, uh, yeah. <laughs> a girls match, as uh, Jim Ross called it. Um, yeah, I mean, the, I actually thought it was, it was pretty decent standard, mm. um, given, and that's not being uh, patronising, it's just, you know, of the time, other ones I've seen, lots of holds. Yeah. Um, and... That's something that obviously I, I think I've mentioned before. I'm not a fan of that, but actually it seemed to work. I, I, yeah, they, they actually looked... It's interesting because I think now I don't sort of... A lot of the... I think from what I can see, women's wrestling has... I mean, it's obviously come on loads and I think at the moment it's, it's quite a, a good standard. Um, but I know like... For, when North, I, for North America, yeah. Not for yeah, world, I'd say, yeah. Yeah, and... But I always, you know, remember the time where it, the women's matches, which you'd have like the Playboy matches, or yeah. them, and you'd have women. It didn't really matter what their physique was in regards to their wrestling physique. Sorry, yeah, you know, it's more about how they looked and stuff. These women, in an Oscar's way, look like wrestlers. As in, they're not, they weren't like, you know, they're not unattractive ladies. But what yeah. I'm saying is, they're athletes. They, they clearly they're athletes. Yes, yeah. they're clearly athletes. And uh, and that showed when they they wrestled, which is which is interesting. But as you say, there's. It's very much, it's a girls' match. And they mentioned she's one off of the tag team champions. There's no other context around that. Yeah, it's just isn't. sort of, it, again, it's just a sign of the times. It's, not it's blurred like Yeah, it's, it's pure blurred lines. They didn't know what to say. Yeah. So they, they're like, well, then we want to recognize this because it means more for Wendy if she beats the tag team champion. But it's, yeah. it's not our belts and it's not the NWA belts. Yeah. It's a really murky new thing. So yeah, it is, it is odd. Uh, Wendy Richter, you would have seen on your WrestleMania. She she was a yeah. WrestleMania watching. She was a real big part of the WrestleMania one 
promotion with her and Cindy Lauper. Um, and then she fell out of the company and ended up, she, she was one of the original screw jobs. So in a match with her and uh, the fabulous Moolah, they, they cheated her out. The, they cheated her in inverted commas because that like back, backstage cheating rather than a, a wrestling angle cheating her, about her out of the title. Um, and then she, I don't think she ever was in the WF again. I think she's in the Hall of Fame now, but I'm not 100% sure because as with always, you know, pretty much all wounds tend to heal when it comes to people working for the WWF again at some point. Um, yeah. So Richter and Cornette celebrate up together on the outside and Jim Ross is there and interviews the pair. Um, Cornette says that Wendy has done a few things for him recently and she has been well compensated. Uh, he says having to kiss the slimy lips of Jim Duggan, uh, which is beyond the call of duty. Um, he says basically because she had to do that, she's going to, he's going to make her an honorary member of the Midnight Express. So while this is going on and um, Wendy receives this trophy, the crowd reacts big and Jim Duggan comes out. He hurls Jim Cornette to the floor and then in a scene that doesn't age all that well, he forces a kiss on Richter, um, having blocked her attempt to hit him with a trophy. Um, he hurls said trophy to the floor as the Midnight Express get in there and Terry Taylor comes out to even out the numbers. Richter is furious on the floor. I think she was. I thought she was great here with this, with this trophy smash. It's absolutely gutted that this trophy is no more. Uh, and Watt says he thought that Duggan was going to slap Richter, um, but he said he kissed her instead and he guarantees that he's, he kissed her like she's never been kissed before. And I presume he meant here, uh, hopefully she's not been assaulted like this as she, as she was during this, uh, this episode. I mean, th- obviously stuff like this, there's a few things like this in, in these episodes that really doesn't you know doesn't age well um, and this is a you know a guy forcing a kiss on a girl back then was a baby face move obviously is now though AEW have done it in not too not too distant memory um, with Dustin Rhodes which didn't go down well on the internet and uh, what did you think of this you know this kiss aside what do you think of this angle well well this I think the kiss bit was sort of quite a key bit of it yeah, yeah. sorry we'll get, yeah kiss, kiss uh, uh, included uh, I, mean, <laughs> I mean I mean yes it's uncomfortable it's like anything though, like we, 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 all the podcasts I was listening to, all the guests you've had on and stuff, it's very common theme is you've got to take this, the time it was mm. and whether that's right or wrong, but you know, the same way that we say, you know, we take it as the time it is in regards to calling it girls wrestling or maybe some of the moves being a bit static or, you know, it is what it was, tar and feathering, et cetera. It's the same thing back then yeah. that wouldn't have been seen as, Something like that, rightly or wrongly. So it's uncomfortable now. Yeah. Um, and actually, yeah, and that's all. The, yeah, that's another yeah, way that's to look at it. Is, it is yeah. Maybe, maybe you know, another way you can look at it is, do you know what? Actually, it's probably good that you feel uncomfortable watching it because it yeah, shows you right. how, how things have changed. So, one hundred percent. Yeah, so that's a really good point, actually. And yeah. I think that is the way. That is the way, isn't it? That that is the that is the best way to look at it. Really, I think you've absolutely nailed it there. Yeah. So and, uh, yeah, cool. so go. You go. You go ahead. No, I was just saying, just her in general, she's a very, she's a good, like a very good uh, wrestler, like just wrestler, I think, mm. uh, Wendy, and uh, does storylines well, can really hold her own with the, can hold her own with the male wrestlers in, in, the, in the sort of promo sort of stuff. Um, so, yeah, it's a testament to her, really. I think she's, she's good at, she's very good at it, very, you know. I mean, you can you can see, yeah, you can see why the WF thought so highly of her. I'm just, I'm just looking up what happened to her after she, after she lost the title. So she, um, yeah, so she was she was basically screwed out of the title against Mula wearing a mask in November '85 yeah. um, in Madison Square Garden, and she wrestled in the NWF. I th- I'm not sure that's in. I, I, I think that's just probably independent. And she worked for the AWA after that, but she didn't really work 
too much really after that um, after the end of that WF run. She didn't work for nearly two years. So obviously that was you know whether she'd made it made a good good amount of money or whatever it was. She was just so devastated with what happened, but she never really was a was a regular performer anywhere anywhere again really. Um, so yeah, so moving I, forward, I, sorry, saying, I, I could also see what you mentioned about the Hall of Fame. Yes, very interesting. How, um, just just reading about how she, and I think this happens a few times if, with this WWE Hall of Fame, where she it says here that she um, in two thousand and five did an interview expressing her disgust towards how women are portrayed in wrestling, etc. Yeah. And then in two thousand and ten, it's offered into the Hall of Fame, and she accepts. Um, well, this is it, and you yeah. and I and I think that's not that's that's not a that's not uncommon. Uh, no. I think that people do that. So, um, I mean, there's there's a long history of. I think if you speak out, Vince McMahon sees that as more of a challenge to get you in. Um, and yeah. I do understand them accepting the Hall of Fame because if you've got um, for her, if she's at a you know Comic Con or some sort of. Um, Oh yeah, it's autograph. Job. It's massive. It's massive yeah, in terms of saying W Hall of Famous. She can she can charge more to be there, more for in yeah. autograph, etc. So I do get it, and I don't, I don't begrudge yeah. it. It's not. I mean, the thing is, people dispute that Hall of Fame. I do understand that it means a lot to wrestlers, and I do understand the other argument where there's some people in there that you wouldn't have in any. You know, any if you put the 250 most knowledgeable wrestling fans in the world together, they wouldn't pick a lot of the people in that Hall of Fame, but it is what it is. Yeah. It's, it's, it's the whim of one man and that, and that is it. And, and the ceremonies on the whole are, are, you know, relatively entertaining. I know it means a lot to the guys, so good luck to them, really. Yeah. Um, so after break, we get Barry Rose and Pat Orton versus the Fantastics, and they're making their second Mid-South appearance, and they come out to their ZZ Top theme, sharp-dressed man. Um, what says that the Fantastics came to Boogie and there was pandemonium in the crowd. Um, and next week we have the Pretty Young Things uh, will be there. That's Coco Ware and Norval Austin. Um, and Sonny King later in this episode will answer Buddy Landale's challenge. Um, so what's talks and commentary about some of the actions of the Guerreros in Houston and how Paul Bosch has his hands full with them. And presumably they'll be appearing in the Mid-South Territory either on TV or a live event soon, probably more likely a live event. I'm just guessing that because I haven't looked. Um, but that is what they tend to do with the, with the cross-promotion with the Houston Territory. Um, so there's some good action in this one before the finishing 454. So this is one of the longer matches you'll get on uh, on Mid-South. But they they botched the finish here. So the Fantastics, basically, and I, apologies, I, I couldn't work, couldn't didn't note down which one was which here in terms of the move, but they threw one into the rope um, and then picked the other up in a, in a press slam to drop on Orton. Um, but actually all that happened is they dropped him on Orton and basically one of their knees landed in a particularly unpleasant place on, on Orton for the pin. And um, did you spot this botch here at the end of this? Uh, yeah, end this my note was, my note was uh, ask your views on the, on the ending. <laughs> uh, it, I was, I just fit that. Oh, was that, you know that it's trying to was that meant to happen? Yeah, no, uh, it wasn't. I think they just they just they just mistimed it a little bit, and it was um, yeah. yeah. I bet that wasn't that was that was knee to the nether regions. I thought then, I, I bet that was particularly tough. So it's really tough, actually. I mean, I, I asked um, uh, Nadia, who read on a couple a few weeks ago about this in terms of things going wrong in a match. Obviously, we've never been in there, but it's it must be tough because you're not seeing it, and, and uh, probably less so in tag matches. I guess you could shout, actually, let's redo this or whatever. But the, the, the actual to call actually how bad something might look is, is a difficult one. Um, and also the, the other thing, the, the referees these days, if, if they're, I mean, they botched the WrestleMania finish like this, but the referee is supposed to count the pinfall if someone's shoulders inadvertently up or something as a shoot. But obviously that didn't happen in the third, WrestleMania 35 ending with, with Ronda Rousey. But we're, we digress slightly here. I, I thought this was a pretty pretty good match overall. Um, some good action between, between all four and five minutes is quite long for a Mid-South match. 
So uh, next up, we have Haxel Butch-Reed and Kosha Khrushchev versus Mike Jackson and Mark Reagan. Watts describes Reed as a great athlete with huge motivation to train. Um, he's really putting over Khrushchev and Reed and says they are bad machines. Um, so Dan, I wanted to ask you what your least favorite machine you've ever owned was. I'll, I'll go first here. I had a touchscreen Nokia in 2009, which is, I think was probably one of the worst parts of my life because I, could, I literally couldn't send a text message with it. And it lasted about a month before I had to buy a BlackBerry off eBay. So what's, what's the worst machine you've ever owned? Well, just trying to think now, machine-wise, I mean, fairly fond. But if I had to say one, it'd probably be the BlackBerry that you've just mentioned that you got. Oh, really? Your words on. The, keys are, the keys on that thing are too small. Ah. Uh, when I look back now... I just do remember or remember just thinking, thank, thank the Lord for predictive text. Oh, how interesting. Um, I like the BlackBerry, but I know that some people really found it awful. I think my yeah. mum had one. I think she sent it back off about a week. And, so, I guess, yeah. and I guess also, to be honest, maybe, maybe I'm living a bit, you know, over here, there was a spell where in, in businesses, work phones, all businesses issued Blackberries as well. Yes. Yeah. And uh, so there's the automatic sort of, direct link to reminding me of work um yeah I've, uh, I, to be honest i didn't think that was going to be a question so i'm oh, really sorry i should have, i should have prepared you for that and, and I? I feel a little bit bit, bit, bit bad because i'm sure i'm sure if i'm worse but the black well, to mine straight away if one pops into <laughs> mind you're welcome to interrupt me anytime yeah. i used to like did you ever used to watch entourage out of interest yeah yeah, yeah. yeah so that's the thing with, with old, old ari golden the, the, the blackberries and that so I, whenever i got one i always felt they were super cool but <laughs> i think a blackberry was a de- was decent but the thing is you couldn't you could it wasn't very good for internet stuff was it and i suppose the iphone is probably better or the the yeah it's just the two smaller yeah, it's yeah. Just... <laughs> so yeah the, the the bad machines we move on so reed hits reagan with a really impressive press slam before tagging crucial for the win by a backbreaker in 246 uh not much to this uh this match so what, what did you think of this one yeah i mean it was just uh seemed yeah it's very very quick over over far it to be honest we just spoke about two matches that were were long and this was this was back to back to form should yes. we say in regards yeah, to yeah Time, not really too much to bring on the script. No, definitely. Uh, so the Nature Boy, Buddy Landell, and Sonny King grudge match is due next. Um, in ring, Jim Ross says that Buddy Landell is walking to the ring in a sling and he's accompanied by the future Hercules playing Mr. Wrestling 2. Landell says he's pulled his elbow working out. He's got tendonitis or something. Uh, but Mr. Wrestling 2 is going to take his place today. Uh, and I, I just thought Landell, I've, I've not done that justice at all. I thought this is a really excellent promo from, from Buddy Landell here. What, what did you think of this uh this another appearance of basically the star of this week's show, really. Yeah, it was. Uh, yeah, as you as you said, it was. Uh, yeah, he was. He was the star of the show, and every time he'd come on, he's quite humorous. Mm. Um, and yeah, this one, this one was. I, I quite like this. I'm not sure we're going to the match a bit more, but he's really over the course of this episode for me. Done sort of three. This is, I think, his third appearance. Um, all three appearances, they've not really been cameos. He's been the main man um, and really sort of cemented the heel image. Yeah. Um, but, you know, what? sometimes it's been a heel that's been a bit of a, as we mentioned, a heel that's maybe you can laugh at and another one's a heel that you need to take serious. Yes. Um, yeah, yeah. And that's, I mean, that's a bit of a skill in itself, really. Um, you quite often get, particularly the heels that you laugh at, very rarely they can then be taken serious if we're honest, you know, it's one yeah. or the other. Um, he does it with ease. And, no, yeah, I think, he, I think he's great here. 
Um, so King attacks Wrestling 2 at the bell. Um, what says that 2 is an awesome specimen who Landell has somehow connived in taking his place in this match. Um, this 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 is a, a, a an odd few minutes here because I think that, unfortunately, um, Sonny King's offense is a little bit tough to watch. Um, so what's what's actually on commentary, interesting, says that Landell may have tweaked his elbow working out and that it could be true. Um, I, found that, I found that a little bit bizarre given that Landell is on the heel side. Um, but, you know, fair enough on what's actually explaining that these things do happen and, and maybe given a, a bit of uh, plausible deniability here. Um, Sonny King goes for Mr. Wrestling 2's mask, but Wrestling 2 rakes his eyes to get him away. Um, and King's offense, is, uh, offense particularly his punches, is, is quite iffy looking. Um, Wrestling 2 misses a big splash from the top rope with the referee down. Um, and Landell jumps in, takes a sling off and puts it around the neck of King. The ref is revived and the, the bell rings for a DQ in under three minutes. Um, Landell hits King with a steel chair um, very lightly and kill King no sells it. Um, there are some awkward exchanges with King and Wrestling 2 with the chair thereafter where um, King unfortunately drops it sort of mid-attack. Um, and then King slams the, head against, slams the chair against his head and then throws it down as he walks off. I just thought this was a bit of a... This, this, this section of it was a bit of a mess, unfortunately, um, after a, a sterling um, promo from Landell. What did you think of the, the match element of this? Yeah, the match... I completely agree. The match made sense, flowed, worked. And then this bit after, I was like, mm. I don't really understand what you're trying to sh- prove here. Yeah. I mean, smashing... I guess smashing the chair against his own head is maybe style of strength I don't know yeah, yeah. Um, the, the, the interesting bit for me and it is, you might have already known this but the bit that I, that I actually made a note of was I've never really realised where the commentary oh yes yeah. the ring yeah and, and obviously because he went walking off and I was like oh they're there um, I've no, I didn't I've never I've not I, don't, I guess I've not really thought about it because I guess you know I've, I've grown up with wrestling where they're on the they're either at ringside mm. or as AEW do now, they're sort of, they're off center, but you know what, you know, they're yes. there. They make yeah, yeah. Um, and it was just, it's a bit strange. It's a bit like it, they sort of come out and they're, they're both just sitting there at their desk. Like, uh, like he's, he's just walked into like a village fair or something. <laughs> uh, and, and then they're at a stall selling, selling tickets to the raffle. Um, yeah. So, so that, 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 that interest, but like you say, they're, I didn't really understand what they were trying to get out of it. Um, yeah, yeah. Maybe they're just trying to make a, you know, a, a scene after keep it going. But it looked a bit. Do you know, like when it when when he was using the chair and, and hitting it against his own head, it sort of looked like he was sort of, I don't know, like something something was wrong with him. As opposed mm. to like, to me, it wasn't. He doesn't didn't stand out as looking as a, a menacing. It more looked like. Are you are you okay? Are you okay? Yeah, I know you mean it was a bit. I found the whole thing not not uncomfortable in the same way as the the Duggan thing was, but it just was a bit awkward and a bit. Oh, this is a bit. This is slightly cringy here in terms of the the dropping of the chair. I almost felt a bit sorry for him because this guy towards the end of his career, um, you know, big time TV angle with a lot of people watching, it just didn't come off very well. Um, and that and that is a bit bit of a shame. But so after the break, we have Ernie Lad in the ring, um, and he says to Ross that he can't believe that last week they gave him two bums that couldn't stand up. This week he has two more bums. Uh, what does Ross think he is a bum seeker? He says, "Why don't they? Why don't they have Magnum TA or someone with the title come out and have someone he can beat?" 
He tells the crowd to shut up and asks Ross to wait one minute while he attacks his two opponents who stupidly have their back turned on him. I mean, why would you have your back turned on this menacing man? You just wouldn't, would you? No, <laughs> no, exactly. This former North American champion. Just don't turn your back. Very stupid. And that's something that a lot of the babyface uh, kind of enhancement talent do in this promotion. It's like you've just got to face your opponent. Um, so uh, Ross says that he doesn't make the matches. He just does the announcing. Um, the crowd reacts and out comes the North American champion, Magnum TA. TA says, let me tell you something, Big Mouth. I'm no coward and I don't hide behind anyone. I'm the people's champion, which I thought was interesting. I mean, obviously that phrase has been around for a long time, but obviously popularized in wrestling by The Rock. Um, he tells Lad that stuff doesn't work around here like that and he has to go through matchmaker Grizzly Smith. Um, Lad slaps Magnum, who rips off his shirt as Lad retreats. Um, and Lad tells Ross on the outside that he wants Magnum when he has plenty of time to beat him and the show is nearly over. He wants half an hour, an hour to beat that bum for the championship. I thought Lad was really, really great here. What did you think of this, uh, this segment towards the end of the yeah, show? Yeah, it's good. I thought Jim Ross was good. Yes. Um, as well. He, he really gets the... Uh, facilitates really yes. well. Um, I like that. Yeah, good. Uh, it was good. Good on the mic, actually, yeah. I, uh, for everyone here. Um, so I, I noted down it, it as you just sort of touched on it, but I, was, I did note down this was is this the original People's Champion? Um, um, I'm sure there's probably boxers and stuff that have used that. I think um, in the past, but um, I don't know. Joe, you know what I'm. Let's have a little look. Uh, People's Champion expression because I'm, I'm sure that I'm sure that must have been around sure for a long time. Yeah. Impressive. Um, yeah, I can't, I can't, do you know what, perhaps that's a, but I, I, do you know what, I've just realized as I was doing that, that me Googling something probably isn't the best podcasting in the, in the whole world. So perhaps <laughs> I'll come back and answer that another time. So there was quite a lot going on in this episode with the advancement of the hostilities between Terry Taylor and Steve Williams, the extended highlights of the, of the exciting encounter at the Superdome between Reed and JYD, uh, the corner and rock and roll express feud is simmering along plus King and Landell and Ladd as the new challenger of making TA. Um, so in closing, what did you think of this, uh, July 1st, 19, 1984, so 36 years ago, uh, this soon, what do you think of this episode? Yeah, I. Uh, so this is the third time I've been on. Uh, it's the best episode I've... Yeah, I agree. Uh, lots going on. Um, I enjoyed the Junkyard Dog match, uh, mainly because the lead up to the Superdome was huge I felt uh, you know listening to all the podcasts and stuff constantly talking about constantly talking about and but also understanding that we may or may not see what happens there yes. uh, yeah. so to actually see a match a good match well filmed as you said actually is worth picking up on um, that was good um, and yeah for me the, the, the takeaway is is Landell is just certainly he certainly stole this show whether he liked to or not Um and there was a lot of things actually that I think there's been a few episodes we've watched. A sort of nothing's really sort of happened, um, mm. or, or, or stuff's happened, but it's just sort of kept the ball rolling. Yes. It seems to have had a few different things that's like actually fundamentally changed going forward, and the new 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 things. Uh, yeah, it was a nice the back it, of it. it. Definitely. Yeah. 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 So yeah, good. Excellent. In a new and potentially semi-regular, likely depending on how well this actually goes, feature, we step back in our time machines to June the 13th, 1990, for the NWA Clash of the Champions 11 event at the McAllister Fieldhouse in Charleston, South Carolina, for this month in wrestling history from 30 years ago. Um, back alongside Dan Phillips. 
Who oh, hello. Now. Sorry. Hello. <laughs> <laughs> By the magic of Zoom, didn't see me pointing it in there, which is good. Uh, so, yeah, here we are. Um, our first WCW or NWA review. Um, so, the open package mentions that the last time they were due to be in the area, they were blown away by Hurricane Hugo. And Benalo were back, as was the beautiful city of Charleston. And Coastal Crush was brought to us by Robocop 2. What do you think of this uh, this opening here? Uh, so my note I made was that they opened up, as you said, with Blown Away by Hurricane Hugo. Okay, I searched Hurricane Hugo. Oh, no, they made a very flippant comment about, oh, oh it's be, Blown Away. It's going to be terrible, isn't it? Killed 67 directly, oh, fully no. indirectly, and left a bill of $11 billion. Um, but, you know... And also, it blew away their last time they were there. So. Yeah, uh, yeah. So, <laughs> do you know what? It's so funny you look that up because when I was watching this, I was thinking, I wonder if that was really bad. Oh, well, I just skipped. I just skipped on. But yeah, no. Thank you for doing the research. There. So, <laughs> obviously, clearly, just uh, just quite flippantly, it's like, yeah, whatever. Well, now we're back. So that's the most important thing. Um, yeah, so we, <laughs> yeah, really good stuff at the start here. So we cut to the familiar voice of Tony Schiavone, who looks incredibly young. I mean, I think he looks about twelve years old in this, doesn't he? Yeah, I've literally got on my notes here. Tony Giovanni equals young, very yeah. young. This um, is yeah. after his WWF run as well. So he, which I thought he looked older. Than this. I don't know if he lost some weight or perhaps the the stress of working for Vincent Mann had gone, and he basically unaged about ten years here. Yeah, but yeah he looked great. Um, so he runs down the card coming up, including JYD's challenge to Ric Flair, the Steiner Brothers, plus the Rock and Roll Express challenge the Midnight Express for the US Tag Team Titles. Um, at ringside, we have Jim Ross and Bob Coddle. There's 10 great matches coming up and Coddle pushes the wrestling hotline with Lex Luger taking your random calls until 8.25 Eastern. So Dan, did you ever phone any premium rate numbers in your, <laughs> your younger days? The, the only one that I recall ringing was with my dad actually. Um, they used to do, and, you, and you'll probably know this, and we might need to explain it, but uh, with uh, football transfers and football news uh, for Fulham in my one, you had a specific number for Fulham in which you would ring in and someone would be listing generally transfer rumours. Yeah, club call, news, yeah, yeah. Club call, yeah, and it was on loop. Um, so obviously, depending on when you dialed in, you had to sit through it. Um, I recall ringing that at least weekly. Um, and then you'd even sometimes maybe ring it sort of in consecutive days. No, no, in your own mind, it's the same recording, but still listen through just in case they bolted something onto the end. Yeah. Other than that, I don't recall ringing too many premium lines. Uh, maybe <laughs> maybe the odd one or two when I was a bit younger and uh, got hold of the phone and maybe watching things on telly I shouldn't have been. <laughs> what about you? The, 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 the club call stuff was good because you used to get... Uh, I'm sure some people that listen do know what teletext is. I'm not even sure teletext was a thing in the States, but you used to get this very, very simplified... I guess it's a little bit like the internet, but it wasn't that you you had these things that you would dial on your TV and it would give you news. And on that, you'd have ad- advertisements for Club Call where it'd have, you know, latest Fulham, you know, Fulham in talk to big name strike or something. And you'd listen and they'd say that at the start and you'd wait seven minutes at a pound a minute. And then it'd be someone you'd never heard of, like the Bolivian second division or something that, yeah. uh, that Fulham were trying to sign. I used to, back in probably 98, 99, before we got the internet at home, I used to ring... The, the Power Slam hotline, which I can still remember the telephone number of 09065667600. And for pay per view results, it was 601. Um, it was Finn Martin, he's very famous, and he was the editor of Power Slam for years, and I think made a fortune on that 
that wrestling magazine when the you know pre-internet early internet days i understand the circulation that magazine was huge in this country and he did it all himself and it was like three pound in wh smith so probably had ten thousand people reading that minimum every single month they absolutely raked it in um yeah i remember one time i'd just been so bad at it because i'd phone it on like a tuesday and you get all the raw results and then you'd phone it on a friday as well and get like all this I, I bet they just read dave Meltzer's wrestling newsletter we just read it all out basically <laughs> and i remember i like the, the phone i was waiting for the phone but it came in quarterly and I, I intercepted it and wrote a fake letter from bt to say i'm really really sorry due to a fault we've not been able to itemize the bill because my dad was bang on club call so it was like at least some of it would have been merged between yeah. the two but he did ask me and i did admit it because he's he, i had form for that unfortunately but yeah and that that as well as perhaps sometimes some of the some of the stuff that you get in the Sunday people that I probably yeah, should, yeah. Uh, shouldn't have been written well, out. That, they did they did on the advert on the network did uh, feel they, they felt the need to put something over the phone number that said mm. no longer in use. Well, you're guaranteed that. <laughs> and if that was a UK number, you'd be phoning that straight away. Yeah, yeah. When you'd see it's still there. <laughs> So first up, we have Tracy Smothers and Steve Armstrong who get an inset promo and they're called the Wild-Eyed Southern Boys. Um, I don't know if you noticed this, that the music throughout the whole show just felt off to me and I don't know whether it was... Um, it was. I think the WCW music, they used to, used to test the waters a bit in terms of like very close rip-off sort of tunes. Remember Diamond Dallas Page's theme was very much like Smells Like Teen Spirit. So I think a lot of this wasn't the original music. Um, but they get a decent reaction from the crowd. Um, then we do get some original music. Uh, we get an incredible look at Michael Hayes singing the iconic Bad Shit USA. Um, and out are Jimmy Garvin and Michael Hayes in this version of the Fabulous Freebirds. Um, what did you think of these, these haircuts and these ring jackets these two had on there? Yeah, so, I mean, well, first of all, the Freebirds, obviously, as you said, sing their own theme tune. Um, I, they said Michael Hayes, and I had flashbacks to watching uh, Sunday Night Heat. Yes. On Channel 4 over here, uh, which he hosted. And I actually, did, to be honest, I'd never even just thought about him being a wrestler, to be honest. Um, so, yeah, I thought it was pretty impressive that they did their own theme. Um, yeah, classic outfits. You've, st- you've got the... Uh, the, the the long hair, which is a sort of a prerequisite now of I think of the time really you yes. needed to have long hair. Um but as and also just for your thing, they were matching. So I know you're yes. funny with that. So yeah. you know I know you, that I, I literally see that now, I think. Steve would be happy with that. <laughs> the thing that's funny about Michael Hayes, I think he was, I think they say in commentary, he's 28 out of 29 in this, and he was considered a veteran because he'd been wrestling since he was very, very young. But when he was managing the Hardy Boys around that time of that hit, that heat, he's he's young, he was younger then than Matt Hardy is now, but he looks so old. Like, yeah, I, yeah. Think, I think he had the toughest, I think his tough <laughs> paper round was probably like pure boozing and loads of women, I think, in the, in the crazy <laughs> 80s of being a wrestling star, certainly. Um, so Ross informs us that the Wild Eyes Southern Boys are making their national TV debuts and they get jumped at the bell by the Freebirds and the match is on. Uh, but we do not hear a bell here, which annoys me irrationally um, because my match time might be accurate. Um, Ross says that Hayes' left hand is full of dynamite and he likes to set his opponents up for the DDT. Um, the reported attendance for this was 4,100 and the crowd was hot from the get-go, which was great. Um, a gentleman at ringside holds up the sign declaring Freebirds as the number one rock band. Um, the crowd was electric for Tracy Smothers after a hot tag, um, after a period of offense on Armstrong. Um, and then with Hayes distracted on the outside, our hum- ha- is he Armstrong or Armstrong as his actual <laughs> name is, hits the head button to Garvin who was pinning Smothers. He rolls out and Smothers gets the pinpoint around seven minutes, the absolute glee of the crowd. Um, I actually really enjoyed this and I think this this hot crowd made a lot of stuff on this show. And what do you think of this opening match? Yeah, it was a good, it was a good tag, tag match. Action everywhere. Um, 
you had you even had like you had your ref distra- distractions mm. uh, occurring. You know, it sort of had a bit of everything actually. And for an opening opening match on on a ten match card, it was of a, a decent length as well. Um, yeah, it was. Yeah, yeah. And like you say, the crowd were fully invested. And yeah, given it's called the, the event's called Clash of Champions, it's a it's a opening match, ten match card, no belts up for grabs. Yeah, but actually, it was pretty good. Yeah, exactly. It. So, the, so these cla- these clash shows, um, they start just give a bit of background to so anyone that's not familiar with these. These these were te- television specials um, that were predominantly started. Um, I think the first clash, the cha- yeah, the first clash championship was Sting, Sting and Ric Flair on the day of WrestleMania four. Um, wasn't head to head, but it was a basically if we give away a really big. Um, television show then potentially people won't buy the WF pay-per-view this is after um, the WF put Survivor Series on at the same time as the 87 Starcade and basically told cable companies you know you've got to pick you can't you can't have both you can't have both pay-per-view events so this remained a thing that was quite important to, to WCW um, all the way through the early Nitro eras really um, but became less important when they went to 12 pay-per-views but yeah a big a big event a big TV special usually with stars but not quite at pay-per-view level but still some some really interesting stuff on these over the, over the years so um, next up we have Wildfire Tommy Rich versus Bam Bam Bigelow um, this was only a short run for Bigelow in uh, WCW NWA that lasted a few months as he was predominantly active in Japan during this period of, of his career. Um, he doesn't look to be in the best shape in this one um, and certainly has slimmed down a bit in time for his next high-profile run in the WWF. Um, Rich was only 33 at the time of this match um, and had won the NWA world title for four days um, some nine years before this. Um, again, the crowd was so bloody good during this and it just goes to show how much things have changed when this lower card match gets better reactions than almost everything we see in North American wrestling today. Um, Bigelow is ultimately disqualified for choking out Rich in just under four minutes. Um, he carries on this time using the rope to help with the choke. Um, and so Oliver Humperdinck, Bigelow's uh, imaginatively titled manager, pulls Bigelow off Rich um, but doesn't prevent him being held over the top rope onto the old WCW ramp that was level with the ring. Um, what did you think of this? Uh, it's kind of a short match with Bigelow and Rich at in a DQ. Yeah, Rich looked like um, <clears throat> sort of a d- uh, bit like we said before, long, blonde hair, mm. pants, like literally a design, design me a 80s wrestler. This is 80s. Uh, this is very obviously 1990, but a lot of the stuff you see on this is very yeah. 80s, this, these uh, haircuts and outfits. Yeah, I mean, Sir Oliver Humperdinck didn't look like what I'd expect a Sir Oliver Humperdinck to look <laughs> I'm like. I'm not sure he was, in, he was officially nice about I the Queen, yeah. I think. Yeah. Um, and actually, I've. I think if I take it as two things, so match-wise, one of the things I noticed was they did stress um, that they continued to stress that Bigelow hadn't been knocked down. Yes. Um, so I assume, you know, that was always going to be an angle for them to, um, you know, to push that, oh, he hasn't been knocked down, he hasn't been knocked down. They kept saying it. Um, like you said, he only had a brief stint, so maybe if it went on a bit longer, uh, maybe one of his things... You know, taking a not not maybe like Andre the Giant type, but do you know what I mean, like a, yeah, like can't be slammed, can't be can't be down slammed. Sort of yeah, yeah, I don't know if that might have been me. That non-match wise, my observation was we mentioned this before actually about Mid South, um, and I think maybe I just thought it might be a bit different in this event. But they go to the crowd a few times, like you said, a pump. There's no merchandise. Yeah, yeah, at all. Yeah, no one's got anything. Like not even a. Um, 
I'm not, you know, like often when you go to an event, you'll get an event T-shirt or something. No one's got anything, which is no, it's bizarre, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, I don't think they ever quite got there. I think they did. They did well in their merchandise around the time of um, the NWO stuff, but actually, they ne- I don't think they ever really got it right. And and people wrestlers used to complain about this at the time because they um, they got a cut of this merchandise. So if there's no merchandise available, but yeah, you're right. You think you know, if you're going to a wrestling event, you might buy them the event T-shirt, but you didn't see any of that, did you? So. Yeah, no, just, really, just really odd. Um, so I could, I, I just, just put, I could, I can live with um, the DQ finish a bit more, given this is a TV special, as we've explained, rather than a rather than a full-on pay-per-view. Um, so after the break, we get an advert for the Great American Bash on July the seventh, and Ross says that one man will be debuting there is Big Van Vader. We see some shots with Vader with full headdress outfit on, making his way through a New Japan crowd to the ring, set to some music that was certainly not the original as I touched on earlier on. Um, I guess with the outfit and the size, um, this was supposed to show that he was something of a monster, um, but it didn't do much for me. This uh, this package is basically a guy that can walk through a crowd with a fancy dress outfit on. What did you think of this? I've just put Big Van Vader promo is just his ring walk. Yeah, it's and like, for those that haven't seen it, it's not a special ring walk. By ring walk, I mean okay, I'm, it's just a walk. He yeah, just walks yeah. to the ring in a costume. I mean, uh, they, I don't know whether they couldn't. I don't know what deal they did with New Japan. They did have a working relationship with them, I believe, around this time. But why didn't they? they Vader was super impressive. So they should have said him sm- killing someone, smashing someone. Like, why yeah. did they show this walk? Like, yeah, you can walk in a straight line. Great. Yeah. Whereas, whereas the next promo, which you'll come on to, that was an in-ring chat. Yes, yes. Perhaps Sorry. my highlight of the whole show coming up here. So <laughs> uh, so back in the ring, uh, the crowd reacts big to Gary Michael Capetta informing them of Vader's imminent arrival. Um, he then introduces WCW's latest signing, the largest athlete in the world, seven feet, t- seven, feet seven inches tall, 435 pounds. Capetta says that t- Ted Turner himself has signed him and he runs down some vital statistics. A 72-inch chest, a 48-inch waist, 21 shoe size and at the great american bash you'll be teaming with mr wonderful paul orndorff and the junkyard dog against the horseman he is el gigante now you dan will remember this guy from his match with the undertaker at wrestlemania 9 which i think you told me was your favorite match in wrestlemania history wasn't it <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah i mean <laughs> if this bloke did have all of these uh dimensions or measurements he probably in wrestlemania didn't need to wear a naked bodysuit yes uh, which yeah. he had on I also just uh, just to clarify as well in between WCW and WWE he grew three inches because he's eight foot in oh uh, really WWF, sorry wow he's eight foot I also had to just check out all Andre the Giant was built at because when they said he's the biggest athlete in the world I was like hmm but Andre the Giant's seven foot four so you know, they weren't lying. I, I did just double check that. But yeah. Um, <laughs> I suspect neither was actually true, but there we go. Yeah, yeah. I mean, but yeah. So yeah, I, <laughs> it was, it's, uh, you know, it's just previous, uh, being on here previously to discuss watching the WrestleManias and how everything just all links. It's, it's very incestuous, I think, in the oh, yeah, more yeah. and more now. Um, about who's been where. And, and uh, there's a certain a couple later on that will come on to that I, I was a bit shocked by. But yeah. Yes. No, it this was is an interesting time. It was it? an interesting promo. Uh, and um, given that I have sort of learned a minimal bit of Spanish, 
I was able to actually keep up with some of it. Oh, really? How interesting, because I was about to say something <laughs> on those eyes as well. So Capetta then says that El Gigante's English is limited, so we'll now attempt to conduct this interview in Spanish. And I thought I'm going to um, I'm gonna have to translate here. So I did once have, I think you know this, I did once have a Colombian girlfriend, but I can't remember too much of the lingo from when we were together, other than something that, that stuck in my mind, which was, Por que me has roto el carazón alejarme por otro hombre, which is, why have you broken my heart by leaving me for another man? Which I said to her a few times when she, uh, actually left me for another man that she's now married to oh um, boy she said that to you <laughs> yeah she said that to me no I said that to her <laughs> um, so yeah so, but I'm pleased to say that after Capetta asked the question he did translate the answer and um, Capetta says that so could, could you follow any of this then a tiny tiny bit yeah. the queen up the queen up so was, was Capetta translating this for your for your Spanish like, in, a, in, a, in an accurate manner? Here? It was quite a basic Spanish. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I mean, yeah. So, yeah. So Capetta <laughs> says that El Gigante is overwhelmed by the reception he's received in the United States. He adds that El Gigante has signed to wrestle in many of the major arenas in the country, but what is most in his mind is the date of the Amer- Great American Bash pay-per-view. El Gigante has also indicated that he has undertaken a very intensive training regimen because he knows that the best athletes are there in world championship wrestling Capetta tells the fans to be sure to go and see El Gigante if they get a chance live what did you think of this incredible segment I just I didn't really know what to make of it really like just the whole yeah to be honest I was I I thought at one stage he wasn't going to translate yes uh, that's what I thought yeah um, so Look, that would have been incredible it, if he'd done the whole uh, in Spanish and they wouldn't have had a hear I, that would have been amazing <laughs> I wish it, he'd done that yeah. it, it, it does make sense now that you know when you've, 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 you've took a through that this is a TV special because mm. you know it's a bit like you know that's two people you've shown tell me, telling me how good they are but then I'm not going to get to see them yeah but yeah. uh, now we know it's a TV special and it's you know being used to build you know or hype certain uh, future events then it makes a bit more sense. But at the time, I didn't realise that what you just said. So I was a bit, oh, okay. Yeah, why he is this great. not uh, Why is he not yeah. fighting? <laughs> but yeah, no, it was uh, very amusing. Yeah, I thought this was great. Um, so the note on the screen after the end of the segment says that we've got Flying Brian versus Me Mark next. But when we come back, we actually have the Samoan SWAT team, which is Fatu, the future Rikishi, and the Savage, Samu, Samu in the WF. So they're, they're those two together with the Head Shrinkers versus Captain Mike Rotunda, the future Owen R. Shyster, and the Z-Man, the former Tom Zank. So um, the Samoan SWAT team go through a pre-match ritual, which the fans in Charlton do not respect. Which I thought it was pretty bad form from them. Um, Rotunda hits a great flying double clothesline to a huge reaction from the crowd um, with the Z-Man coming in after the hot tag. His rallying doesn't last very long. Um, the ref misses Rotunda being held over the top rope and the Z-Man is hit with a Samoan drop followed by a Vader bomb. The Simone SWAT team celebrate in the corners while Rotunda pulls the Z-Man out, swaps places with him and wins with a distraction small package in spite of not being the legal man. I thought this was really, really poor officiating here to miss that. Uh, really terrible. And I suspect that caused a stir in the sports pages in uh, Charleston the morning after this. Uh, what do you think of this match that went about seven minutes here? Yeah, so uh, a few things. Yeah, so Rikishi, obviously, uh, mm. obviously clearly a lot older than I realised. Yeah, Rikishi was around for a long time before so, this, this big run in the WF. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and if if possible, probably the first type person that's ever said this to, to about him, looked quite slim relatively yeah, yeah, yeah. to what yeah. I, I, I was expect, I used to expect him. Um, it's a match of... So the match had lots of holds um, and things like that. A couple of things, I guess, 
we'll talk about the ending in a minute. But one thing I want to ask you: they mentioned that um, just before the ending, they uh, someone was thrown over the top rope, and they mentioned that should be a disqualification. Yes, uh, I just wanted to inquire about that because that was I don't think a rule during my tenure of watching. No, so that's not ever been a rule. Well, I shouldn't say not ever because I don't know. It's never been a rule in the, in the modern era of WWF, um, but it was a rule in uh, lots of other places. So the AWA had that rule. They also You also weren't allowed to jump off the top rope in the AWA because that was considered too dangerous. Um, and in the NWA for a lot of time, um, and also a lot of other, lots of other territories, the over-the-top rope rule was in. You couldn't throw a punt over the top rope because it was too dangerous. And what it also did as well, it allowed you to have a bit of a cheap, cheap way out, you know, cheap finish without having anyone yeah. pinned or coming up with okay. more credits finish. And also the other thing as well, for Battle Royals, um, which were very popular, um, especially sort of place like San Francisco, the San Francisco Battle Royal was really like one of the big events of the years in the 70s and early 80s. It gave that Battle Royal the added element of danger because they weren't, because that over-the-top rope element was associated with a DQ, uh, so they weren't allowed to do. And that's probably, yeah, I guess that's that sort of makes sense now. Because sometimes when you watch Battle Royal now, they're seen as very bit tame really particularly when they got you know, you've got the Royal Rumble where the, the rings generally got say four or five in but then you had the Battle Royals has got yeah. loads and actually you think this is a bit tame but it's more of a if, filler isn't if, it if, get people yeah on. but if yeah. the history is that then that's really interesting actually makes sense and obviously this led to the ending which is, as you discussed I actually I actually rewound just to just to check if they had the same kind of pants on but they didn't <laughs> no. so when they swapped over it's it was Obvious that switched the man, and also just to, just to, I don't think you said it then. He definitely had got his shoulder up at two. Oh, I didn't notice um, that. But yeah, yeah. Oh, he yeah. definitely got his shoulder yeah. up at two, and actually so much so that when they showed the the replay uh, of the headbutt coming down, oh, I thought oh, I'd be surprised if they carry on showing this because the angle they had was um, level with the canvas. Okay, and they even yeah. showed it in the slow mo replay. Oh, I missed that. And they just yeah, talked okay. over the top of it. So it's a bit of a shame, really. But so I mean, referee... it wasn't really the most entertaining match ever. No, it was a no. Bit sluggish, um, as I said, and quite slow. And then it ended with that. So actually, as much as that might have been annoying, that's probably the most entertaining thing of the whole match. Yeah, yeah. So no, every it, cloud. Yeah, no. It, it struck me a little bit of um, the creative on this. They're just thinking about a lot of other stuff, and they haven't they haven't put enough effort into this. And this, they've got this weird finish. Um, I thought actually it was quite surprising. The, uh, this, the early part of the show was quite babyface heavy in terms of victories, and this was another one where I didn't expect these guys. To, I, I expected the Rotunda team to be on the losing end of it, and they and they weren't. Um, so with some heavy metal style music in the background, we get a video of Mean Mark smashing various opponents with moves before he comes out with his manager Paul E. Dangerously, aka Paul Heyman. Um, and it's really crazy to think here that just five months later, um, Mean Mark would be debuting in the WWE to much fanfare at the Survivor Series as The Undertaker, um, or sorry, making his pay-per-view debut, I should say, because he, he did do some, some house show matches before that. And a year after that, he would be the WWF World Champion, uh, beating Hulk Hogan in controversial circumstances. Um, so I had a look at um, these two in-ring um, and their sort of future paths, where their paths would cross again. Um, so they wouldn't actually be back in the same ring together. Uh, this is uh, The Undertaker and Brian Pillman um, until a May 10th, 97 house show uh, in Scranton, Pennsylvania, presumably with Michael Scott and the gang in attendance watching that night, um, I hope at ringside. Um, on that note, on that night, there was a six-man tag with The Undertaker, Steve Austin and Ahmed Johnson versus Pillman, Owen Hart and the Bulldog. Um, and they were also part of another six-man match on a house show in New Haven, Connecticut on August 17th, 97, um, with The Undertaker on this occasion team with Goldust and Dude Love versus Bret Hart, Pillman and the Bulldog. And that was it. Obviously, 
um, unfortunately, Pillman passed away uh, that autumn, um, and that was it. And th- this was uh, this was um, their first one of their first singles matches, and they had five more house show matches one on one, and they never wrestled one on one again um, after this. So. Me, Mark attacked Pillman just before the bell with a big clothesline and they go back and forth over the next few minutes with Pillman slightly missing a drop kick that the future Undertaker did sell. Um, I thought the action in this one was really good um, with Pillman really smooth and really quick. Um, and again, in front of a really invested crowd, I thought it was into both of these guys. Um, Ross mentions that me, Mark is due to take on Lex Luger at the Great American Bash and he reminds us that tickets are on sale or were on sale, I should say. Um, they show Heyman and Ross quips that his hairstyle has nicely covered up every bald spot. Um, as a balding man, I found this to be a little bit mean i'm suspecting you may not feel so sympathetic about bald jokes given that you and your family have luscious and thick locks luscious thick locks and a nice thick beard at the moment a lockdown yeah. a lock, <laughs> lockdown locks should we call yeah. it i think at the moment well i think i think scott 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 steiner was sporting the lockdown no sorry rick steiner was sporting the lockdown lock a little and we'll talk about that a little bit later yeah. on um so pillman strikes back with some great looking chops for mean mark smashes him down with a huge side slam for a near fall and Flying Brian takes a great-looking missile drop, sorry, hits a great-looking missile drop kick off the top rope and then hits Paul Hayne with a drop kick as well. And there's a slightly awkward moment as Pillman comes out of the corner after being held in by Mean Mark. I think this is supposed to be the finish, but they messed it up. And then they went back to the same spots. So they try again. Uh, and this time Pillman comes out of the corner with a cross-body block, which Mark catches and then drops him over the top rope or onto the top rope neck first with the old stunning Steve Austin stun gun for the winning 535. He then screams in the camera, Luger, take a good look. I really enjoyed this short match. What did you think of these two? Yeah, I enjoyed it. For me, you know, I don't want to upset any uh, wrestling uh, history buffs or purists here, but I, uh, being from my era of watching WWF, which was probably just started just sort of a few couple of years after this, is I did not know who Mean Mark was. So watching this for the first time, I was literally, however much was it, 30 however years later, I literally was like, that's, that's, that's the Undertaker. Yeah. That is definitely the Undertaker. <laughs> oh God, that's his real name, Mark, of course. Um, so I was, yeah, just like, oh, this is brilliant. Um, and... Yeah, he was dominant. and I, So I'm watching him then as The Undertaker, really, if I'm honest. Yeah. He's dominant. But one thing that stood, stood out to me is, you are full Brian Pillman's very good. Um, but JR discussed that he played for the Cincinnati Bengals. Yeah. Um, yeah. As an NFL fan, I was like, as much as he was, you know, Pillman was a good wrestler in this match I was watching, I was like, he must have got eaten alive in there. Yeah, he's quite NFL. a small guy, yeah. I've had a look. I mean, he was signed to the Cincinnati Bengals. I mean, look, fair play to him, he still got signed, but... I wouldn't quite call him a Cincinnati Bengals player from looking at his record. Did, did um, he start? Did he? What was it? What it doesn't was look like it. I'd like to, I'd, and and I, I was trying to uh, have a look before this to see. So he played nose tackle. I mean, it says here that he just played for them in 1984. Um, doesn't really sort of give too many stats. So I suspect it wasn't a uh, thing. I, I, I was trying to look. It says he, he went undrafted. Um, and it doesn't really mention. Um, so I've got, I've got, I'm looking at profootballreference.com and it looks like maybe six games for Cincinnati in 84 by the looks of things here. Um, but it's, it's tough. I, I remember looking, I can't remember what I looked up before, but these, some of these are 80s periods of stuff for sports stats. It's, it's so much more difficult to find anything 
Like I remember looking at this for Fulham yeah, before. Yeah. And you just can't find anything unless you've got the old reference books from the year they came out. Yeah, you can't you can't find anything because it's taken people actually to put it on. But yeah, yeah, it was quite un, it was quite undersized, and I think that's that's part of um, you know potential problems in later life. I mean, you look at some of the bodies on this show and also the WF at the time, and obviously you know not to cast aspersions on people, but I suspect a high proportion of these people were probably as they probably were in professional football at the time, you know, using a bit of chemical help for some of this stuff, which obviously doesn't help yeah. uh, the, the organs and the such like. But yeah, I thought going back to Undertaker or Mean Mark, and funnily enough, I didn't know for, until like about 92, 93 when I bought a book um, called Championship Wrestling. It's like a big, you know, these coffee table books with loads of pictures, like the big yeah. ones. And it had, it was like 89, 90-ish and it had a picture of him. And I was like, what the hell is this? I didn't even know it was it. Like, cause you just didn't know back then. You didn't know there was no, the, there's not really any resource for that stuff other than the odd wrestling magazine that was that was kind of uh, like inside wrestling and that sort of stuff you could get here. But they still were quite they were still quite kayfabe and quite inside, and they didn't really talk about this sort of stuff quite all that much. Um, yeah. So it was quite difficult as a fact. And I think that was part of the fun growing up was like learning some of this stuff and like working out some of the things in terms of where people have been. Yeah, um, I, I would I, say on this as well, like it was the first um, match of the night with entrances. Yeah. Um, now I don't know if maybe the others had entrances and we didn't see it was cut but obviously I think, I think it probably wasn't I think it probably was the first one of entries purely because I think from here onwards the entrances sort of appear I think there's one match that doesn't but appear to be commonplace and also seem to get better yeah so, yeah. You know, the bigger the match the better the entrance um, I, yeah, I think they probably they probably had them either off air or didn't have them for time. Probably, I think it's probably the, yeah. probably what happened here because they were t- they were tight to a two hour time frame here. And though actually, the, the the network version was one hour fifty three, wasn't it? So maybe they had yeah. a two and a half hour slot with breaks, perhaps. Oh, okay. I think probably yeah. Um, so back from break, we have Shivani interviewing Sting. Uh, this is this is really confusing. So Sting is wearing a Lex Luger t shirt, um, and Shivani is impressed that Sting said he would be wherever Ric Flair would be, and he's actually turned up. And Sting says they have some dudes with some serious attitudes here. And if you want to try and stick your neck out in the wrong spot, check that out if you want to. If you want to, well, I don't really understand what he was saying here. What did you think of this very brief and somewhat confusing he just kept, promo? It, I, I just, he just kept going, I'm here. He's there. I'm here. He's there. I'm here. Yeah. Okay, great. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, very, very bizarre. <laughs> uh, you think by this stage, I mean, Sting, Sting by the end was a very good promo and his, his later some of his TNA days and even the WF run when they allowed him to speak. But yeah, this was, this was a little bit bizarre. I, I do think there's something to be said for one, some of these wrestlers back in the day that they should have like, if you were stinging 88 or 89, like why aren't you doing, you know, acting classes, improv classes, you name it. Cause the world's your oyster. If he, if he, he like, you know, you don't know what's going to happen. He could have been a star in this company and they could have overtaken WF and he could have been the Hulk Hogan of this company for 10 years, earning multi-millions, but it yeah. was never there, never there on a promo. I never really got, um, a really long and proper run, like I'm talking a year, a year or so with the title. And I think his promo ability was a big part of that. Um, so then we get Ricky Morton and Robert Gibson, Ricky Morton, friend of the show, I should say, and Robert Gibson uh, with a backdrop uh, of a train going by um, in an interview segment. And Morton says that as soon as this match is over, the tag team titles are going to be theirs. And out they come um, with two Rock and Roll Express white vests on with their faces um, emblazoned across the, across the front. Um, and I think, again, the music's probably edited, but they do get a great ovation here. Um, and we then get a short promo from, from Jim Cornette um, with the Midnight Express. And he says they are legends of tag team wrestling. They've been together longer and held more titles and all they have to do is prove it. 
Uh, all that's due to prove it is beat the Rock and Roll Express. Um, again, I don't think this their music is it just it just sort of sounded a little bit off. What did you think of these two short promos from the from the two expresses that we are familiar with from Mid South? So this was obviously the most anticipated match for me on the card. Yes. Um, having listened to all your podcasts and listened to different people, and obviously this is the first podcast post Ricky being on. So Ricky, I'm not on first name terms. With him. <laughs> um, Ricky won't be on. Um, and so I was really anticipating this, and yeah, like yeah, the promos were good again. So it's sort of one up from the last one. Last one was sort of small promos and an entrance. This was proper promos. Yeah. Uh, proper entrance, um, yeah. I, I, I say it was a, it was an, an anticipated match for me, and also one that um, so we'll come on to the, the the answer to it. But I asked last time I was on, have these two teams ever faced each other? Because I'm not quite sure, you know, you know how that would go down with the fans and stuff. So obviously, I was a bit like, oh, okay, I'm finally going to get to see what this looks like when these two are together. Yeah. So the promos added added to my anticipation to that. So here we go. The Battle of the Express is the Midnight Express of Stan Lane this time rather than Dennis Condry version in, in uh, Mid-South versus the Rock and Roll Express. Um, Ross says he first saw these teams in Mid-South, uh, as mentioned, obviously that was with Dennis Condry. Um, Ross also says that they have fans from all over the world uh, and there's two visiting from Australia, Norel Jordan, whose birthday it was, and Gina Hook. Surely these two didn't travel all the way from <laughs> Australia for Clash of the Champions 11. I mean, it's an right card. It's a decent card. I would have probably travelled for a couple of hours to this, but I'm not sure yeah, I would have gone from Australia. But, but I think for me also, so I was like, oh, he's mentioned Mid-South. Oh, that's good. That's a, like, a good mention to, you know, like a, a, a smaller promotion, etc. Oh, that, that, that's quite good. Then I thought, now he's just giving out <laughs> shout-outs of people's birthdays. Like, yeah. actually, it sort of belittles Mid-South. Yeah, like, in, I know. I, I, I actually, again, I rewound just to be like, sorry, are these... Like, are we meant to know who these are? Oh, no, they're just two women that have travelled <laughs> over. And, and I mean, the likelihood is, you know, have they really travelled over? Over, or they just over. And no, they've just I, got a ticket. Yeah, exactly. I think they're probably like from someone's family or someone that lives in Australia, and they and they just happen to be there. I don't think they they travel for this. Um, so Gibson and Eaton start the match with Ross saying that these two know each other so well, um, and there's not going to be too much they can do to one another they haven't before. Um, it's a pick 'em, but the difference is the man in the polyester tie on the outside, referring to Cornette. Um, the crowd starts a deafening rock and roll charm, um, and Eaton has on some excellent luminous green wrestling tights, uh, which reminded me a little bit of our excellent away shirt in 1999. So were you a fan of the green and blue Fulham kit from 99, and did you own that kit? Uh, I definitely owned it. Yeah. Uh, it was. Do you own it still now, though? Well, I do own it, but it's in a, I think it's in a large boys, so it's uh, not oh. a <laughs> Um And it was... I'm trying to think. I don't think I had a name on the back, but just to put this shirt into perspective, it wasn't just green and blue. It was shiny green. Oh yeah. Oh, yep. it glistened. It yep. glistened. Um, Fulham later brought out a Harrods green shirt. Yes. Yep. Uh, which I actually had that in a large, but because it was a skin tight oh, material, yeah. it felt like a large boy's yeah. um, on me. Um, but yeah, no, I did. Uh, actually going to outfits, um, I mentioned the man outside the ring. So Jim Connor had a pink tennis racket yep. with, you might not have noticed this, but matching pink brogues. Oh, did he? I didn't notice the shoes. That's great. Yeah. Um, but just, just you, you may have covered this and I might have missed it, but why has he got, why is it a tennis racket? 
Um, I don't know why it's a tennis racket, actually. There is a reason for that. But he it, uh, managers had... Bobby Heenan didn't have one, actually. But Jimmy Mouthless of Heart had the megaphone. Yeah, yeah I'll get um, a prop, but it's just a and, bit of a strange one, isn't it? Yeah, I don't know. I think it was just a... I think, it's not going to hurt oh, you. Maybe, actually, I think I've got it, actually. So I think the reason he had a tennis racket originally is because uh, Jim Cornette is... I'm, I'm someone, please tweet me if this is wrong. Um, I believe that Cornette's character, uh, to do with his mother and the wealth, I think he's like a sort of southern country club guy that would go and play uh, tennis, okay. etc. So it's a loaded tennis racket, I think. So that, yeah, that's that's the reason. You obviously can use it to hit people. So I think, that, that I think that's where it comes from. And then, uh, yeah. and then you, because you also had, um, I was wondering before as well, and, and he's probably the, one of the reasons for this as well as the reason I think I am. I thought you've sort of had two sort of fan favourites. Um, it was quite clear that uh, Rock and Roll Express were the favourites here. Yes, um, yeah. But I think they mentioned it's their hometown. Yeah, or yeah. they're from nearby. Um, and obviously Jim Cornette, you know, is, is in a large figure. Um, there was also a nice little touch uh, you got about why Robert Gibson does sign language. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Go, yeah. So, yeah, so I think so, is so it, was he, his dad or his mother? That his mum uh, and dad are deaf and dumb. Yeah. Um, so he does sign language to the crowd when he comes to the ring, which, yeah. which I don't know. I mean, you've seen more mid south than me. Have you, have you noticed this sign language? Him doing sign Do you know language? what? I can't remember whether that came up on the interview or whether I've heard that on another mid south episode, or maybe I've read it. Just read it. I'm just reading Jim Ross's first book, which is taking me longer to read than any other book ever. <laughs> not because it's not excellent, just because I, because I'm watching. 190 Dave Meltzer five-star matches and I can't wait to get my life back basically um, but yeah no, I think I've read it in some of those but yeah Bob Coddle on commentary puts this over doesn't he that it's such a mm. nice a nice gesture that he's sort of sharing his, he, he, he chooses to share his emotions in that way through sign language which is, which is quite a nice touch really, isn't it yeah true yeah I just, just just a just yeah real side and just you know when you're watching you go oh where's that That's a, yeah gets you, it gets you that whole all the feels that. Yeah, yeah and I can also imagine people saying, you know, you know, look what wrestlers used to be like. See, they used to do these things yeah. now, and they all do good things now. But you know, it was it was just it was just nice, nice touch. Yeah, no, it was really nice. So um, Lane lands a straight right hand in the corner that sounded incredible. I don't know if he caught this punch at the start, but he like literally whacked him. And I don't know what, yeah. what they did where they slapped a thigh, but it sounded brutal. Um, again, there's another really loud rock and roll chant. Um, Ross says that Stan Lane used to be good friends with Vanna White, who was at WrestleMania Past, and um, was also famous for her role on the American Wheel of Fortune. Um, I don't know if you remember her. She was one that the guy, that the baseball guy, Bob Uke, was chasing around one of the WrestleManias. I can't remember if it was yeah. WrestleMania 3 or 4, but one of the Yeah, two, and she yeah. ends up coming out with... She, she comes to the ring with Shawn Michaels, is she? Or something, oh, no, something that's like that. later. So that's Jenny McCarthy at WrestleMania oh, 11, okay. that one. Yeah, yeah. Um, I used to be a big fan of Jenny McCarthy. Do you remember what was the dating? You see, you're a bit younger than me, so I forget some of this stuff sometimes. That, what, five years? What is it? How old are you now? 33. Yeah, see, that five years between us is like, <laughs> that's me being a pervert watching, like, yeah, when I'm 15, <laughs> watching some late night show on MTV with Jenny McCarthy, and you're 10, like, more, more wholesome pursuits, basically. Watching Hulk Hogan. <laughs> oh, I know what it's called. Yeah, I, it was called Singled Out, and she was one of the hosts on. I think it was, I can't remember what it was now, but it was all girls on one side and a guy on the other side. And they would, they'd ask them questions and they would have to pick something. And it was like, a, have you ever done this? And all the yeses or whatever. 
would be would go on one side and the nose would go on the other and then the, the if whichever one he preferred the answer to they'd go basically oh, okay, yeah. vice versa yeah but she was really good on that uh, yeah she was yeah very talented um so morton hit a lovely head scissors on lane which sent the express over into the corner to regroup and uh, there was a scary looking spot as morton almost jumps out of an eater superplex but he managed to land on his feet did you notice that i actually shouted out loud when it, obviously i know that it was all right but yeah really scary I did notice superplex. It, yeah. yeah i did yeah um, so Ross says on comment, this is a bit of a weird line from Ross here, actually. So Ross says on commentary that the Rock and Roll Express left the NWA for a sabbatical. Um, and actually, in reality, they were working all Japan, USWA, Memphis, and some AWA in this time. Um, and some fans thought, well, actually, we're not sure we want the Rock and Roll Express anymore. We don't want to see them. But they've won their, the hearts of their fans since then. I wonder if there was a backlash. That just seemed like a really odd, really it odd line. A, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it was a strange thing to say. I mean, again, I don't really know the history around it and it's very difficult to know and, and um, yeah, and also you wonder because it was all territories. You know, what, what, what sort of back, backlash are we talking here? There yeah, is, I don't know. I wonder. I wonder whether there was a bit because you around this time you had the rockers and the WF a bit of a kind of younger version of these guys. And these guys weren't old at the time, but I felt I think these guys were probably suffered from the. Um, a bit of the Michael Hayes thing that they probably live pretty fast and actually in their mid-30s all of a sudden they don't seem quite like the you know the super young ultra sort of mid to late 20s yeah. guys they were sort of five or six years earlier and I think that probably maybe in some arenas they were getting a bit of a backlash and I, I do think that this is a little bit early for this by about 93, 94 there was a there was quite a change starting to happen in you had ECW and the, and the cool heel was becoming a bit more of a thing where actually these these sort of white meat baby faces, people were starting to rebel against it a little bit. And NWA typically had a bit of an older fan base. So it may just been they were super hot here, but other arenas they were they were suffering a little bit. Um, so there's a great near fall after Gibson is hit from behind um, from the top rope. And I thought actually that was it, um, but, but he kicked out. Um, the Rock and Roll then hit their double drop kick and Sweet Stan stops the ref counting a three. Uh, and Ross says that should be a DQ. Um, there's a bit of a melee here. Um, there's finally a bell at 12 minutes and 10 seconds um, for the DQ. So basically the Midnight Express are DQ'd here and the Rock and Roll Express win. And they celebrate with a jumping high five, which I thought was a bit much given this was a hollow victory. Uh, what did you think of this uh, this one between the, the battle? Yeah. Yeah, I, I was obviously a bit disappointed. It was the DQ ending. Mm. Uh, I think first match of the night, is it the first match of the night of a belt up for grabs? Yes. Um, yeah. The, so it, the US it, tag team title is a bit like intercontinental level, but for tag teams in, in, in WWE. Yeah, yeah, which I gathered because obviously they actually sort of, in a sense, belittled it halfway through by yeah. saying these guys want to win the big one or whatever. Yes. Um, but obviously, we're watching Clash of Champions. I appreciate it's a TV event, but it's still called that. So I was like, oh, finally we've got a a match of a belt on the line. Yeah. Uh, DQ. And like you said, it seemed overly happy about uh, the DQ yeah. win. Um, what, one thing again, going back to, you know, keeping your history lessons or asking you, sorry, that I noticed in this one that you, you've got a four count to get out of the ring. They mentioned. Um, oh, was it four or five? Uh, they said four, but maybe okay. I misheard five. But oh, maybe because, five, actually it might be that five. Yeah, you've got four, and then five's a DQ. Yeah. Whereas yeah. now, it's, if I'm right, it's ten. Right. That's just that's uh, the norm, no. Yeah. So it's still a five count if you're double teaming someone. Well, that. Uh, okay. Well, whether they ever allude to that now, I don't know. Yeah. In, I just, just oh, thought AEW is different. AEW is ten. Ah, uh, okay. Yeah. Yeah, because no, because yeah. they went. Oh, you know, he's only got four seconds, and I was a bit. Oh, okay. It's a bit weird. Yeah, um, AEW is different, and I th- even though because okay. Jim Ross is, uh, you can always 
he hates it when there's not like rules and tag matches. But obviously, yeah. the young bucks style and stuff is to have lots of you know all four in the ring, double team moves, that sort of stuff. So I think that's why they've added a little bit of a uh, you know leeway in that in terms of making that ten seconds rather than five. But yeah, that's that's what that is. I think in terms of the five, is yeah, really cute. yeah. And actually, you're right about him stickler to the rules. Actually, when the bell didn't ring straight away, yeah. It was probably like, this is a disqualification. This is sort of like making sure this is a disqualification. Like, and he needed to see that happen. Yeah. Um, I do think, in, in, yeah. I know that that is somewhat frustrating now for Ross because I think I really like Jim Ross. And I think even now, I, I do like the, th- the trio of him, Excalibur, and Tony Schiavone. Sometimes Ross, I feel like he sounds like he's not enjoying what he's seeing very much. And I think that hurts it a bit. But I do also think there's a place for someone who is a babyface announcer who is a stickler for this stuff. So, the, and actually, I do think sometimes AEW make the refs look a little bit stupid. But New Japan, New Japan, my, like who I think are you know head and shoulders above everyone, they make the refs look stupid the whole time. I was watching a match today with John Moxie and, and uh, Tomohiro Ishii, and Moxie threw a chair at him in his face. He didn't get to cue for it. So it's <laughs> like, well, you know, I can't complain about that and, and like that. So yeah. yeah. Yeah, no, I think, and you're right about Ross, like, particularly at the start of this AEW, he was very enthusiastic. Then he was making a lot of mistakes that didn't help him. And and so, yeah, so that doesn't help. I mean, help him full stop. He was making mistakes on commentary. Mm. Um, and then not even really, a po- like, apologising for getting it wrong. Just, do you know what? He just seemed like a bloke that shouldn't really be doing what he's doing. Um, but now they've got the three. It works really well. Yeah. And actually... He's the lead commentator, and so he should be, because actually when he says stuff, you do respect what he's saying. And like you say, he's still got it in him now, yeah. um, how he gets someone over. Um, he's he's just, almost a storyteller, isn't it? Excalibur calls yeah. the moves, Ross is the storyteller, and yeah. uh, Tony Giovanni's there to say, I'm having, a, I'm having an amazing time, this is brilliant, basically. And that's what it is, yeah. isn't it, really? Yeah. And Tony Giovanni's yeah. also of the three, you know, he, you know, he's the, the butt of the jokes, Excalibur yeah. sometimes, but no one goes to Jim Ross, right? Yeah. And, and I think that's great. You know, it's yeah. a bit of a hierarchy. And I, I think I think it works now and I think they twig that. Um, at, because you're right, if it, if it hadn't have changed, it was getting a little bit sort of yeah. bit depressing. Like, uh, particularly, like, you know, I'd come and watch watch the Mid-South episode and be like, ah, oh, this guy's brilliant. And then yeah. go and hear him on a Wednesday and be like, oh, this is sad. Yeah. Um, whereas actually now they've changed it they took a bit of pressure off him as well so yeah I think the role game really is perfect happy. yeah absolutely yeah. so next up we have Doug Furness who is announced as the world's strongest man and he also is one quarter of my favourite Dave Meltzer five-star match in the 1990s uh, and he's up against Barry Windham of the or then of the Four Horsemen um, Ross calls Furness Furness I've done it myself now Ross calls Furness Furnace? <laughs> he calls <laughs> Furnace Furness, then corrects it. There we go. So no wonder he made a mistake. I've just done it myself. Yeah. Furnace so has... So Ross and you called yeah. him their own Furnace. Um, Furnace has the little lightning bolt in his trunks, which was a look a few people had around this time, notably the former WF Tag Team Champions Strike Force. Um, Furnace very nearly hurt himself badly, slightly botching a flip out of the corner, but he really impressively managed to correct himself. Um, and even more impressively, he was able to press slam the large Barry Windham. Um, Ross says he has over 30 lifting records, um, and Furnace hits Windham with an absolutely devastating clothesline for a near fall. Um, and soon thereafter, Windham repays the favour with, with another clothesline that looks even stiffer. 
Furness very nearly catches Wyndham with a small package and Ross calls him Furness again and you can hear how gutted he is in his voice because he, he cracks a little I don't know if you, you notice that he calls him Furness and his voice cracks because he's like I'm gutted I've done that again Because but he calls him Furness later in the show when he's talking about him. his name's Furness um, anyway he, yeah he, he, he cracks it he got it wrong again um, I've written down Furness in my notes now so Furness hits a big time power sound for another near fall uh, the crowd is into this again uh, but sadly um, Doug Furness has got one of the best drop kicks in all of wrestling but he he hits it but he doesn't quite land it right on Wyndham albeit Wyndham takes a, a big bump to the outside uh, and there's quite a sobby finish here sadly after what I thought was a pretty good match um, uh, with Barry German suplex German suplexing Furness and then placing his feet on the rope for extra leverage for the one, two, three, and five fifty. Um, I thought this was pretty hard hitting with some big moves. And what do you think of the match between Furness and Wyndham? Yeah, so he could have got over it by he, he's mentioned as the world's strongest man. Mm. Um, I don't know why there's any history around him entering the strongman competitions or anything. It seemed yeah, a bit I of a strange thing was, to say yeah. about him because. When you look at him, there's nothing reason to say he's the world's strongest man. So um, I couldn't take my eyes off the cameraman who was wearing a green shell oh, suit. Yes, the shell suit. The shell suit jacket. <laughs> was he wearing trousers as well, or was he wearing a shell suit jacket with jeans? He, no, he had a green and blue jacket, and then the trousers were blue with green trim. So I sort of flipped it the other way. And he was on like on the apron all the time right up in them and just wow I was just like look at this guy because I looked at the other cameraman and he seemed to like he's obviously got up going I'm going to work today I need to I'm a cameraman I need to be a bit um inconspicuous so he wore black this guy's woke up I'll be I'm the cameraman not part of the action I'll wear my green shell suit that's incredible um, and he was right in the action as well <laughs> so I spotted it. It was so good. I just think if you were if you were nineties, just like I'm just gonna I'm just gonna rock a, the the most colourful shell suit that I could possibly yeah, find. That's why not? Yeah. <laughs> um, so I'm yeah, just say so. It was a it was a good match. But, um, the ending was a bit. Yeah. So but, yeah, Furness apparently still still holds um, some national collegiate records in the squat, um, which is 400 kilos okay, uh, and dead okay. and a deadlift of 347.5 kilos, which is absolutely insane. Uh, and apparently a, a, a support, an equipped bench press, I don't know what that means, of 272 kilos. So that's probably about 269 kilos better than my record is. So uh, <laughs> Wyndham featured in a number of... Ma- of uh, sorry, Barry Wyndham featured a number of times during the five-star match, which I think I've been doing. And some of his battles with Flair um, in the late 80s were fantastic. I would highly recommend those. Uh, I'm sure there were many more live events that were sadly never recorded. Um, so next up is Sid Vicious and Lex Luger. We cut to Vicious standing in front of a video screening showing black and white picture of some horses galloping. I'm not sure what the reference was there. Um, and I'm sure we get the director here saying three on a countdown before Sid starts. I don't know if you've heard that at all, but I think the director was one, two, three, and they didn't cut the three out before Sid starts. Oh, okay. Um, Sid no. says he is a machine, a fuel-injected suicide machine, and just in a few seconds' time, Lex Luger is going to feel his wrath. Um, Sid comes out first, representing the horse from this alongside Ole Anderson. Um, and then Luger came out again. I don't think he was original music but he had some very fetching pink trunks on a bit bit of a Bret Hart ripoff here not that Bret ever wore the short 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 trunks like this but certainly his colours what do you think of these uh, these pink pink trunks that Luger was uh, was you know it's the trunks but I know he's a USA champion and he didn't rock up with a belt oh yeah he was US champion actually yeah I know that's right They, they said that but he didn't 
Was this not? A, this wasn't a championship match. Either, was it wasn't it? a championship match, but you no. still have the belt. And yeah, you should do. That's weird. You know, showing off. Yeah, no, very it wasn't strange. around. So, in fact, this whole thing was really odd, wasn't it? The bell, the bell rings. Um, seemingly too early here because Anderson, Anderson is still in yeah. the ring. He goes for Luger, and then Luger, Luger basically attacks him back. Um, and then uh, basically, this is a really bizarre twenty-four seconds. Anderson never makes it out of the ring. Luca hits Vicious with the clothesline and then pins him in what seemed like a fast count in twenty-four seconds. This was the first time Sid had appeared on television since the November fifteenth, nineteen eighty-nine Clash of the Champions uh, event, where he lost the tag team match alongside Dan Spivey as the skyscrapers to the Steiners. Um, and then he was a regular thereafter until May nineteen ninety-one. So it was odd that he was used in this way. So, what did you think of this short mess? Yeah, I'm sure. Um, do you know what? It's a quick match, as you said, which is a shame because um, two, two, two guys that go on to be stars. Um, I t- one thing I did know, actually, is that the physique of these two fellas sort of up the level from the rest of the what, what had gone before it, um, which, again, I just, you just find, it's just different things you find interesting. I just found it interesting in regards to that. Okay, so these are two names that, Fairly, if you know wrestling, you probably know these two. Um, and yet they're the first two that are like the epitome of what a 90s wrestler looked like and actually what wrestlers yeah. now look like going forwards. That they were probably the more I sort of see, I think I mentioned before, WrestleMania sort of one to ten was sort of old school and there was a change in the guard. This would have been around what WrestleMania three or four, but they that just that just their. Uh, uh, maybe it's the introduction of steroids. I don't know, but you know they they just look like what we expect, what we see now going forward. Yeah, I, and I think. I think. Sorry, you carry on. Carry on. I was going to say, and as a result, I actually thought the little bits they did wrestle, you could see that, that it was a bit more. I don't know. It was just more like what what you're used to seeing now. Whether that's better or worse is, is up to people's people's uh, opinion and preference. But yeah, which actually for me is why it's a shame that it was just a bit of a. You know, a match that just didn't really do anything because of because they obviously decided to make a bit of a joke of it. Um, yeah, I think I, I suspect this was probably quite heavily promoted. This one, and it was just really weird the way they did this. Um, and yeah, I did, just didn't really understand what they were doing with Sebastian here. But and your and your point, you're absolutely right. I, this this was a working promotion in the sense that the guys weren't. It wasn't a body promotion like the WF was. I mean, this was, uh, you know, this was the year that Ultimate Warrior won the title against Hogan at WrestleMania 6. And this was this was the pure, pure body era in the WF where they would have house show matches for six minutes, all about the entrance music, get them in, get them out, get them gone. Um, whereas NWA, WCW was predominantly around this time. You know, I'm sure Flair was using stuff, but he, uh, you know, it was working promotion. So the guys looked like, maybe a little bit softer, but they were athletes. They still looked good. But you're right, there was more of a mix of bodies. Whereas these guys, and they would be, I mean, Luger was in the WF in 93. Sid Vicious was in the WF by the following summer. Um, they were they were purely reflective of, you know, bigger muscles. That's what draws money rather than pro wrestling. Um, so yeah, you're, you're absolutely right when you said that. Uh, so we cut to Jim Ross at ringside. He says that up next is the World Tag Team title match and they push the Great American Bash event again on July the 7th. Um, but there's no mention as of yet of the main event, um, but we will get more of a direction on that later in the show. Um, so next up is the Steiner Brothers versus Doom with Rick and Scott out first. Um, 
I'm boring myself talking about the music, but I can't believe, again, that either of these are the original themes. And Teddy Long is in the corner of Doom, as Coddle says in commentary, that they are still surprised about what took place in the last match and how quick it was. Um, there's some great signs in the crowd here. There's one picture of Rick Steiner doing his dog chant, another with the letters TBS, spelling out Tough Body Scotty, being held by a woman with an incredible late 80s haircut and crop top. Did you, uh, did you spot these signs? And if so, any thoughts yeah. on these two? I think they didn't they, the commentators make a big reference to the signs. Uh, oh, sorry, I can't. Sorry, so I might be wrong. I might be wrong. Um, on this one, I just, <laughs> I was just cracking up that Teddy Long gonna be any more sort of like '90s black man uh, in in his attire and his. Do you, do you know what I mean? It was very like he was just like a pimp. Yeah, he like was a very caric- caricature, yeah, yeah, caricature of himself. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. you're a bit like, come on, like, mm. it's just silly. Um, and then for me as well, look, do you know what? Ron Simmons, just what a guy. I mean, yeah. it's just every time I seem to watch one of these, whether it's a 80s episode, 90s episode, 2000 episode, he's just there. Yeah. Um, he's, you know, in and around wrestling, this guy for uh, God knows how long. Um, and he looked fairly young in this. Um, yeah, I think he probably was. I mean, he was, he was world champion I think briefly for WCW in 93 so I, I'm going to look this up and I would guess what, how old do you reckon he was in this he's actually probably older than you think actually uh, 30 30 uh, he was just turned 32 at this point oh, okay. so yeah uh, he said actually give me a clue but yeah I mean it's just amazing so as I say like it's just it just feels like Maybe a bit, a bit, bit for me, like always. I mean, you just said he was champion there, but maybe like a bit like always the bridesmaid, never the bride sort of thing. You know, always he, he's there, but he's not the, he's not a um, sort of a, a headliner. Yeah, but there's something to be said for that, I tell you, because yeah, okay, all right, he might have been mid card his whole career, right? But if you think the amount of people you see that have even got to the top and then you, no one's heard of them the next day or you know, actually, just to maintain that over the years. Oh, yeah. Incredible. Without doubt. I think I think incredible. there's a lot to be said for someone that's had, you know what? So perhaps Elton Warren might be a good example of this. He had, he's had, he had really short, short relative overall career and he had some big money years in there. But I wouldn't, I wouldn't be surprised if Ron Simmons uh, made more money across his whole career with, uh, you know, the APA staff, the fruit character in WF. He was around and wrestling I mean, when would the APA probably were around until maybe 2002, 2003, perhaps? Yeah, they were, yeah. Um, yeah, so, I mean, I, I think, you know, to, to have that longevity of like a, you know, you know, over probably over a 15-year career is, you know, is, is something in of itself. And he, you know, he he, um, he was pushed as the world champion by Bill Watts, and funnily enough, when Bill Watts was in, was in charge of the booking for WCW and, and wanted, you know, wanted a black number one baby face, basically. And that was that was what he, that was the way he he pushed them. Uh, push Ron Simmons so yeah that was um, that was the sort of focus then so I'm just looking at Ron Simmons in terms of his um, his his stuff on cage match so they the APA were wrestling as regularly as early 2004 I'm not sure whether he was injured or something after that um, but yeah he was he was regularly appearing all the way up to 2004 which is 14 years after which is pretty incredible Butch Reed was 30 just about to turn 36 um during this um so ross says that these men were all very sore after their last encounter which was very physical um, the steiner and simmons start with some great punch and exchange and a spectacular flipping slam on 
uh, which Scott hits on Butch Reed and also on Ron Simmons, which is incredible. Um, talking about s- sort of lockdown haircuts, I thought Rick Steiner's hair in this looks a little bit like a lot of gentlemen at the moment out of, uh, out of 2020. They've taken the decision to grow it out rather than um, rather than hack it themselves or ask a loved one to botch it on their behalf because he just yeah just looked a bit of a state really. I thought his, his wrestling head headgear uh, made it look even worse. Um, so Scott hits a brutal-looking clothesline right to the back of Simmons' head. Rick hits a beautiful belly-to-belly overhead suplex on Simmons, and that brings Reed back in, who looks huge. And um, Rick's, nick- Rick's nickname is a dog-faced gremlin, which was unkind. What are your, your thoughts on this unkind nickname for Rick Steiner? <laughs> a dog-faced gremlin is a little harsh, isn't it? Um, <laughs> it's not the, the kindest, is it really? No, not really, no. Um, and as you say, Butch Reed was in it. So I think the last time I was on, I was discussing his promo. Uh, yes, junkyard dog yes. match. So, yep. um, again, there's a lot of crossover here in this. This event yeah, and it's great. And, and, yeah, and, it's, it, and you know, if I'd have watched this a year ago, um, a lot of these matches would have been like, oh, who's this? Whereas, I, you know, I felt I was quite in, quite gripped. Um, and yeah, seeing him in it and being like, oh, okay, well, I'll see, I'll see, like, he's a big, like, obviously, a big, big, big guy in, in Mid South. Um, but yeah, I mean, the Steiners are the Steiners, right? Everyone knows about them. Um, so, yeah, not not the nicest nickname in the world, but no. I mean, he did look like a mess. So, yeah, he did. Um, so, <laughs> there's a lot. He brought, he brought it himself. There's a lot of um, there's a lot of Scott complaining to the referee here while Ricky's on the receiving end of a further beatdown as a result. Um, and I just thought, you know, if this was if this was my brother, I'd be saying to him, "Stop complaining to the referee because you're 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 making him have a beating." And I didn't. I don't like this babyface spot of the of one of the tag team partners complaining to the referee while the other partner gets beaten down. So which is used a lot around this. Also. I think it makes looks the other person sh- look stupid. What do you think of this? I, I don't think the babyface should ever be made to look stupid. Yeah, it just you just wouldn't do it, would you? You just no. oh, he's my you know my partner, brother, whatever. He's being being up. I'll stop. Yeah, exactly. Stop complaining. Like you're not going to get anywhere. Yeah. Uh, so Ross says that the NWA Power Hour is coming up this Friday night, plus the Atlanta Braves and World Championship Wrestling on Saturday. Um, Scott hits a big power slam, and all four men are then in the ring. The ref tries to remove Rick as Simmons is hit with the superplex, but Reed now Scott with what Ross describes as an international object because Turner Broadcasting would not allow them to say foreign object which was more commonly used in wrestling at the time um, and at the time Reed was pinning Scott Rick the illegal man had Simmons down for a three I thought this was a little bit of a mess um, as a double pin over confused it when they were already doing a screw job finish um, I did like the match overall obviously four really really impressive workers here and um, what did you think of this one sorry can you just yeah well my thing was I've got international objects so, so it couldn't be called foreign object because so I'm, yeah Turner Broadcasting had some had some some terms and stuff and, and this is something Eric Bischoff talked about in later later times around Nitro there are some things they weren't allowed to say um, and what would I don't remember WWF ever, ever particularly saying this but perhaps maybe early WWF but they used to say if someone threw like a brass knuckle or something in the ring they would right. say uh, we didn't know we don't know what it was but the wrestler was hit with a foreign object but Turner wouldn't allow them to say foreign object. I guess, you know, political correctness perhaps, but I don't know. Don't it's said now a foreign object would be so like if there was, you know, a football match now or a soccer mm. match for Americanism and someone threw something on the pitch, I think it would say foreign object was thrown. Yes, it would. Yeah, it would. It yeah. would in the paper or something. Yeah, 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 yeah. I think it would. Yeah, but this, but this at the time, I, I don't know. It was just an odd, an odd, an odd directive, but that was why it was international object. Um, yeah. So yeah, what do you think? They, they, they stress the international object quite a lot. Yeah, what they was do. It? 
Uh, I don't know, actually. Because know. that's yeah. what I re- no, rewound to have a look and I couldn't work it out. I thought maybe the famous coal miners glove had come back into action. Oh, if only. I'm desperate to see. Yeah. Um, having looked at it, I can only assume it was like a knuckle duster. I don't yeah, know. But again, so. the more I look at it, I just didn't really know what it was. Um but yeah. No, I, yeah, I think I think so. But yeah, a bit of a shame that this was this was this finish, but understandable on, on a TV special. So um Tony Schiavone um is with who Ross describes as the biggest dog in wrestling. Um, and Joe says he's got the whole says the whole country is going to see what the new dog is made of. He's going to beat Ric Flair like he owns him, and tonight is his night. Shivani asks him about the four horsemen interfering, and he says he won't be coming in like a cabbage, all head, no rear, which is an expression I've never heard before. He's going to have the baddest man in the world with him, the dudes with attitude. What do you think of this short Joe Eddie promo here? Yeah, I mean, it was very short. Um, not sure it was needed. Um, and I say that because, as you'll come on to later, I think they he does like a little promo before his entrance music comes on. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I wonder whether this was to sell because your maybe fl- viewers are flicking around and they turn on Joe Eddie and see that he's in the match. But you, you're almost yeah. selling something that people are already tuned in for, so you don't yeah. sell it anymore. I didn't think it was needed. I thought it's just a gap filler. Sorry yeah. to not add any more insight into that. No, no, that's for my actual note says good. my actual note say nothing of note. <laughs> <laughs> well, that is that is true. Really short, and nothing of note completely. Uh, so next up, we have a short interview with Paul Orndorff in the somewhat unfamiliar role uh, to many as Babyface. And he tells Arn Anderson that it's time to put up or shut up in their forthcoming match. Corder and Ross discuss the upcoming six-man involving these two and our friend El Higante at the Great American Bash pay-per-view. Orndorff holds up Anderson's world television title. We are informed that this is a special challenge match and that this prestigious title will not be on the line tonight. Um, I don't know why. Um, Anderson, yeah, I mean, I must admit, it's again, I know I keep harping Well, I know that, why. because It's the, called Clash yeah. of Champions. Yeah, so why is and it? Yeah, yeah it's yeah. yet another, I think now, if we look, there's barely any titles on the line. Yeah, in a lot of examples, if the person's got the title, they're just not putting it on the line. Yeah, I just would have thought Clash of Champions, you, that maybe been the caveat. Um, maybe the wrong name for the show, but anyway, sorry, it's a side. Just, no, no, you're absolutely right. You get I, very irritated by things and that irritated me. I, I think ultimately the title wasn't on the line here because they didn't want Orndorff to win it and that was it. So again, it's, yeah. odd, it's odd creative, isn't it? So um, the, I thought the crowd were a little bit down during this after um, the World Tag Team title match um, and Anderson has a surprising amount of hair during this, I thought, which um, I think he might have been a very, uh, very well-styled comb-over going on here, but we didn't quite get the angle of it because he was, he was bald pretty soon after this. Um, Ross says that Orndorff wants him to say hello to all the great fans in Fayetteville, Georgia, and also Fayetteville, North Carolina. And presumably, he does not want to say hello to anyone else and is only interested in Fayettevillians, wherever they are. Um, Ross puts that made me laugh, but I think I'm by myself on that. Um, the, the Ross, <laughs> Ross puts over the danger um, of the figure four leg lock that old Orndorff is applying and says that nicely that sometimes people have been counted out as they pass out through the pain. Um, Anderson hits is always fantastic with spine buster, spine buster to turn the tide in this. Orndorff tries to roll up uh, Anderson and exposes his rear, which Ross describes as a full moon and says, thank God we were on that camera and didn't see. Um, he also asks whether there's a song called Full Moon Over Charleston. Clearly, Ross loves a Mooney gag, but doesn't want to necessarily be subjected to the sight of the Mooney itself. So, Dan, when was the last time you think you uttered the word Mooney? Uh, <laughs> good one. Uh, <laughs> I've got a four-year-old, so quite often. Oh, okay. Yeah, um, fair, yeah. 
I think the last time I acted it was maybe probably in my uni days doing a streak um, for no reason. Really. Yeah, why not? <laughs> Funny. Um, but uh, not quite a moony when you've got it all out. But uh, <laughs> yeah, yourself? Was, 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 I don't know. I, I was just thinking that moonies used to be a thing, didn't they? But I don't know. Yeah. What yeah. Moony and then, and then obviously a wedgie. Oh, yeah, well, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I don't know whether the kids still use the word Mooney or whether they were still mooning each other, which is obviously something we don't encourage on this uh, podcast. Kids don't moon each other. (laughs) It's interesting. It's like um, the women, the women could not get enough of Arn Anderson's backside. Oh, yeah, there were some screams. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Screams. And given in, isn't it, Paul Warndorf's Mr. Wonderful? Yep. um, You thought they might have been a bit disappointed it was the wrong man, but... Arn Anderson, again, the camera wasn't on his on his, on his backside, but clearly the people that could see it like what they saw. Exactly. So, so obviously I'm, doing a lot of squats, clearly. Yeah. Uh, good on him. Um, so a bit of a surprising finish here with Anderson trying to catch Orndorff in a small package only for um, Orndorff to actually reverse it at the count of two for the win at 11.34. Um, I thought this was fine, um, but I just didn't really get into this one. I thought, I don't know why, my, my least favourite match of the lot so far, um, but I think I'm, it, might, it might have been more about me than this match. And what did you think of this one with, the, with these two? Uh, before I come on to the match, just a quick thing to go back to, mm. which becoming a bit of a fit in me going back to things you've said. But um, you mentioned that he discussed the danger of the figure four leg lock. Oh, yes. Yeah. I think the thing that he actually said was, is he mentioned that the, it was the world's most dangerous ring announcer. Ooh. Oh, actually, Gary Michael Capetta. Yeah, yeah. Yes. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The world's most dangerous ring announcer. What? I then started thinking, what makes you a dangerous ring announcer? I mean, can you can you can you give me some input into what is he doing that's more dangerous than uh than, I, yeah. than any other ring announcer at the time? I don't know. All I know about Gary Michael Capetta is that he's got apparently got a very, very good book, and I think he was very well liked by people. So I wonder whether it's whether it's um He's alluding to maybe drinking and partying or something like that. Maybe, oh, yeah. right, but okay. that's only that's only a pure guess. But yeah, I know you mentioned that. I do remember do remember saying that. Um, in regards to the match, um, I do think it was just you because I've actually noted this down as it would be one of my favourite. Oh yeah, there you go. So I thought that when I was watching uh, it, but I sometimes get that when I'm watching these five star matches. I'm just like. I just don't. I've just sometimes you're just in a, like when you're watching something, you're just in like a bit of a weird mood, aren't you? And I didn't. I perhaps I didn't really like Paul Orndorff as a babyface. You know, I don't know what it was, but yeah, do you think it was quite good then? Uh, it was a proper wrestling match. Yeah, and actually, as a result, you just said it was a surprise ending. I completely didn't think that because my view was when you watch these, you know, like the proper wrestling match in it matches. Yeah. you know, the finish is always a small package yeah. inside cradle lean on the ropes uh, to pull up the tights it's always that you know when these proper matches the, the, the end is always some sort of hold isn't it or, yeah. or a submission or something so I, I knew that would be the end of what I was expecting that I actually like this one I actually thought it was really good and I didn't think I would also as well because you know um, I think I, over time particularly having watched all the WrestleManias the, the, the match before the main event then is never that good yeah um, so and also, I was quite happy because I just thought um, it's going to have a horseman sort of link to it. But actually, it was just a wrestling match. It was, you yeah. know, just they just got on with it and, and, and did it. So, yeah, I liked it. Um, yeah, I, yeah. And just to clarify, this is not because Arn Anderson mooned. And that's not just me saying, that's just so I can say mooney, I guess. But um, 
it was actually, yeah, it was just a good wrestling match. Actually, thinking about it, that was just a weird thing that just happened in the middle of a match. Yeah, it was. They did used to use that a bit, but it was it was quite strange. I think there's a lot, you know what, I've watched, you know, I've, I'm watching all these matches and it's, and it's difficult watching these matches back to back because actually there's quite a formula in a lot of these matches. A lot of the New Japan matches are... They all, a lot of the guys have got secondary finishers now where they hit something or whether it, maybe it used to be, what it tends to be is like, like it used to be that one of the finishers. So let, let's say, for example, Jericho, he might hit a code breaker now or he hit, he'll get someone in walls Jericho, but he won't win, but then he'll, he'll hit the Judas effect and he'll win. So those two fi- used to be finishers will be the, the, the near falls, but then they'll always end with someone's finisher. And it's like all these matches that I've watched, they're all someone's finisher. And it's like, I'm just, I'm just like, to someone get something with somebody else because if yeah. you're if you're always 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 kicking out and these these oh, this is nitpicking because these matches are not designed to watch back to back they're months and months and sometimes years apart if you always win with these finishes um especially joe you know what kenny omega's won and i've loved the matches that he's had but he no one kicks out of one winged angel so he's never going to win with anything else if that makes sense. Yeah. So, so it's uh, like, yeah, yeah. I, I think we sort of had a chat the other day, didn't we? About you know, eventually someone's going to kick out of that, mm. and um, and I and a bit like you said there, I hope that okay, when it happens, it, I hope number one, it's sold well enough there, so it's huge. But I hope then that that doesn't then mean everyone kicks out. Yeah, of it. I agree. It, yeah. It's a case of okay, that person's kicked out of it for whatever reason. Maybe you know, it's the new person. Maybe. It doesn't mean then that someone that would never have kicked out before all of a sudden can kick out of it. Yeah. Um, I think there needs to be some sort of, it's called a finisher for a reason. Um, and, you know, you, you, you're you right. I, I, you know, we have a bit of a soapbox of argument about this, not argument, but like, you know, it's your finisher, finish it, done, it's finished. Yeah. Um, and then you can get into different types of finishes, you know, whether you think, you know, uh, you mentioned Jericho earlier on, like you say, Cobreak and I kicked out of Cobreak kicked out of, but his um Judas effect wouldn't be. Yeah. But if we actually look at the move, the Judas effect is an elbow to the face, right? Which I suspect if you watched all of his matches, he's probably done that sort of back elbow yeah. hundreds of times. So the bloke's probably not even moved, right? Okay, so they're now making it a a, a finisher. But and I don't think anyone I don't recall anyone kicking out of that, to be honest. No, I don't think so. I don't, uh, you know, a little yeah. bit annoys me a little bit. Like, come on. Like, I think in the WWE, when I've watched the later WrestleManias, there's a lot of like um, punches now. Superman punch, Roman Reigns. Mm, yeah. Um, so, you'd be like, it's just a punch. What? You know, so I think there's a bit of sanctity in, in, in the finishes. And yeah, Kenny Omega's one-way angel. Yeah, let's just, I mean, for me, let's hope it, it you know, like you say, I think you're right. If it, he's always going to win with that, I do think he mixes up a little bit. I mean, at the moment, it's hard to tell. He's, he's, if you if you don't see these tag matches at the moment, yeah. Sorry for going on to AEW, but that's what I want. No, no, it's all good. Yeah, but Adam Page always does the pin. Yes, yeah, yeah. It's very rare Omega pins anyway. So I mean, yeah, and, and maybe that's for the reason you've just given. I, mean, yeah. I, I, I like these matches. I think I think Osprey's getting a little bit in the same. Or and again, we're, again, what we're talking about is we're talking about a match from January being followed by a match in May, watch back to back. And obviously you're going to notice patterns, but I just think that some of these, it's a bit different. Okada and Naito, 
they hit their finishes and people kick out and they always tend to win after three or four finishes. That's a bit different because you've got the transitions of getting in and out. But when you've got a finish that's deadly, like Will Ospreay's Stormbreaker, which no one kicks out of, or One Wing Angel by Omega, I just feel like sometimes, and actually the other wrestlers too, sometimes you need a roll-up. Funnily enough, when Okada fought Jericho at last year's Dominion, he did win with a roll-up. So at least there's, you know, there, there is some change there, but I think wrestling needs a bit more than that. Because it's, it's, it's a sport. It's a sport. Yeah, it's a sport. and actually yeah, when sport, you say yeah. about roll-ups roll or um, inside cradles and, and things like that, when I was watching it as a kid, and that was the ending. I was like, oh, what an absolute... Co- I wanted yeah. to see a finisher. And if that happened, it was like, you know, I don't care what happened in that match. It ended like that. That is an absolute cop-out. That would never happen. Uh, you know, that would never happen in real life. You, you wouldn't be able to do that to someone. You get older and you realise, actually, do you know what? If you were to pin, try and pin someone in real life, an inside cradle, whatever it may be, is, the, is how you're going to do it. Yeah. So I'll tell you now, just lying on them and lifting their leg up is not going to do it as well as an inside cradle. And actually now I'm like, that's more realistic. Yeah. As I've got older and I realise actually that is probably what happened, but it's just, again, it's the spectators. It's an, it's an entertainment, isn't it? And it's like, what do I want to see? I like the idea of like, you so, see, so you've got an Okada and Omega in there and they've hit a, a you know, the, let's say, let's go AEW, Hangman Page and, and Omega, they're going to fight at some point and hopefully in front of a crowd and they're going to save it to that time. But, you can have in, in London, hopefully. Yeah, like. yeah, hopefully. <laughs> Craven Cottage. But you've got Paige hitting a couple of buckshot lariats and Omega, and, and Paige is finally the one that kicks out the one winged angel, and they're exhausted yeah. and they're punching there, and then all of a sudden they get into something, and then one of them hits someone with a, with a, a small package or a roll up or something, and they can't get out because they're caught. I remember one of the yeah. best matches I've ever seen live was Bret Hart and. Um, Bret Hart and Davy Boy Smith at Wembley, and that ended when Bret tried to try to do a. Um, what did he do? Uh, like a, like a, I can't remember the exact name of the move, but he jumped over British Bulldog and tried to roll him up, and Bulldog just trapped his legs and pinned him. It's like it's like exactly what you said. It's exactly, yeah. and it's a sporting ending. It's like that was great. Uh, but yeah, sorry, we talk about finish your night. So next up, uh, we've got another insert promo from JYD. And it's the main event. Um, it looks like JYD has a marching band with him playing down to the ring, but actually, then the picture cuts away, and it's clear that this is old footage. Um, I thought the JYD gets a bit, got a bit of a mixed reaction from the crowd here. Did you did you notice it? With I didn't think. He, I thought there was some booze in there, but I didn't... I didn't think he was... Yeah, that they were bigging him up. So, yeah. big, something I don't you mentioned at the start was there was a lot of about him being their first black champion, mm. um, which yeah. they mentioned. Um, which, okay, great. Okay, that, and maybe that's the angle they were going for. Um, but, again, we weren't watching it live at the time. I Looking back now at how his, his reception... The way, the way I'm watching it for the first time, like watching it for the first time, I'm like, oh, this is, they're building this up. This I, I was I was being sold. So I was like, this yeah. is big. But the reaction made me think, actually, if you were around at the time, was this just, not that he's a jobber, but they're throwing in someone, that they're bigging him up, but we all know what's going to happen here. He was actually, well, his, his peak was the Mid-South stuff that we were watching. And then yeah, WF so actually, this is after that, yeah. Yeah, so are they bigging this up? And like you say, I don't think the crowd are really over on him. No. Um, no, they he get looked into like, him. He looked like he doesn't. He, d- he looked like actually, like he was, like you know, he, uh, you know, the time is better than me, but like he was like a guest to the show, like he just popped in and, like he, he wasn't a, an established member of 
of the roster, if you know what I mean. That's how he come across. Yeah, I think he was. Uh, a re- I think he was a regular in uh, around that time in in NWA. But I know what you mean, and I th- I, th- I think this this is this is quite a bit after his after his peak, um, and he was a bit out of shape here as well. I thought the crowd got into him, but they didn't react all that big to him coming out. And so after his entrance, we get the. I've never seen this before. We get the big gold belt, the world championship, flashing across the screen, then a cartoon of Ric Flair. Um, which is, I don't know, it was out of nowhere, wasn't it? What did you think of this? I, I didn't know what was going on. So the belt comes in. Yeah. It's just some, maybe a quite a harrowing drawing. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, I didn't really know what, what that was about, really. No, it was bizarre, wasn't it? And then it cuts into his uh, famous Space Odyssey music and out he comes. Uh, I think everyone agrees it's the greatest NWA world champion in history and uh, they build at 242 pounds from Charlotte, North Carolina. Um, and at that time, he was six-time world champion. Um, he's adorned in a fantastic-looking gold robe. Um, Ross says that JYD would like to make this short as Flair has the superior cardio. Um, Flair starts with a slap, but JYD fires back with a big shot that knocks Flair down. Um, Ross puts over JYD's strength as Flair is held to the ground and Coddle says that Flair is not going to be able to stand toe-to-toe with the big man. Uh, Flair tries to drop down, but Joe follows him and hits his famous headbutt before striking him over the top rope, which wasn't a DQ because if you punch someone, they fell over the top rope. That was okay. Um, Flair begs off before poking Joe in the eye and follows up with some chops that Dog walks straight through. And he lands punch after punch on Flair in the corner before smashing him with the clothesline. Um, so Flair gets on top briefly. Um, he's a big knee, which Dog no-sells, and he's straight back on his feet. Um, I think the crowd really got into this at this point and were ch- chanting JYD, JYD. Um, and Dog no-sells the punch and chops Flair as Flair yells, come on. Now, I didn't know whether F- Flair was yelling, come on here in character or he's just like, this guy's not sold a single thing that I've thrown at him so far. Did you did you spot this shout out from Flair? I wondered if it was some frustration. I don't know. I, I, I didn't actually think that, but I just thought it was part of the, come on. Yeah, I thought it may be part of the character, but I did, I did wonder because I was like, this is the and Flair was very giving, but I was like, this is the world champion here, and he's not selling a thing. Um, so Flair drops Dog um, over the top rope onto his neck and moves Coddle out of the way uh, off his ringside steel chair. And while Anderson distracts the ref, he clouts JWD right over the head um, again, which he knows sells, and they're, and they're putting over so how tough and how hard um, JWD's head is here. Um, Anderson tries to interfere, and he's sent to the floor. Um, but it's not enough to allow Flair to catch JYD with a shot to the kidneys. Flair goes to the top again, but he's hit with another press slam and JYD rains punches down. Um, Ole Anderson is then in for the cheap DQ finish in 607. Um, and the other horsemen, Vicious, Wyndham, and the two Andersons hit the ring and beat down more on JYD. Out comes Sting, um, obviously not all that ready to, to back up JYD because he wasn't out there all, all that quickly, along with Orndorff and Luger, and they take over on the hills. Um, Sting tries to go after Flair, but he retreats to the back, and they cut to a break during this melee. So what did you think of this uh, this short m- bit? I mean, it wasn't much of a match here um, and this finish. So I guess if I go back, so JYD started strongly, mm. uh, really well, sort of dominating. You're right, not, you know, maybe Flair was a bit frustrated with that. There, there was one bit where they're obviously trying to show how tough JYD is that he survived this chair shot from Ric Flair. Mm. If you didn't survive that chair shot from Ric Flair, then I'd be also quite worried. I mean, it was he went. To, it's like he went to do it and then just sort of stopped. And he sort of look. Don't worry, I'm sure being hit over the head of a chair is, is not nice. But it wasn't a very vicious over here no. over the head of the chair. Um, look, I'm watching it. I'm thinking, oh, I can't believe that disqualification. You sort of then twig, this is to set up future feuds, etc. And goes back to what I said earlier, you know, JYD. Again, not a jobber, 
but he was there to sort of fulfill a purpose I think when you yeah. when you when you look back on it he was a name um, for a television special that's a bit different I could push yeah previously he's used as a pawn really in in a, yeah. in, a, in a longer yes. longer thing he's on yeah, a destination he's a stop on route yeah, yeah he's getting paid yeah. whatever but you know it's it's the DQs are showing actually when they all run out I was a bit like oh come on but actually by the end when Sting come out with his entourage yeah. actually you are like this is a ring full of stars here yeah, yeah. And, and yeah. actually, when it when it did finish, I was like, oh, I bet that would, I was sort of want, it made me, it made me want to watch The Great watch American the Bash. Yeah, it did, it did. Maybe it that's, ne- want- maybe that's some point next month. We've got, I've, I've, that's a really good show, actually. It, it made before, me want to yeah. watch it. It made yeah. me want to watch it. And so that's actually, the point. It did, it did, that's the point. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. That's the point. So after the break, Ross is in the ring with Rocky King. Oh, I, I don't, I've not seen this guy before. He says he's tired of the horsemen jumping on people. Sting is also in the ring and Ross says it's about time he got a chance at the World Heavyweight Championship. Sting says he doesn't care when, but then he says, how about July the 5th, 7th? So he does care. And then the World Championship means just as much to him as Flair, probably even more. He just seems so unsure of himself in these promos. And then he says, then, then he adds, let's sign this match right now if we have to. And he's like, well, do you want it or not? Um, <laughs> and then Sting says, if he gets it hit the way he wants it, we one-on-one with no interference. Um, and he says he's fired up and he wants it now. He then says he wants to um, wants Flair to come out. He'll get on his knees and he'll beg. And out comes Anderson. Sting deals with him quickly. And then Flair is out while the dude's attitude hold off the other horsemen. The credits roll over the pictures as Jim Ross pushes phone in the wrestling hotline, which I'm sure I would have done if I was in the States at the time, to find out what happens as we still have Sting beating up Flair in the ring. So that's it. Uh, that is the June 13th, 1990 Clash of the Champions 11. Um, so what did you think of this overall? And what is your rating out of 10 for this first, Ooh. this month in wrestling history? For this, I first mean, my, my initial view is obviously at the end, I oh, gutted I couldn't call the wrestling hotline because they only mentioned yes. it about 10 times. Um, and they did it really cut when Big Flair was on his knees. And uh, it makes me laugh that you, you would, fi- it's not like you phone and you get to see what happens. Your phone and someone's going to tell you what yes. happens. Yeah, exactly. Um, look, overall, I, I really enjoyed it. it. You know, every single match had something okay it's like any main event wasn't it right and actually like to go back to what you said originally if this was just a tv show it's not bad you know like yeah uh, exactly it, it paid, paid out of 10 oh, no well i enjoyed it so i'm gonna give it i'm gonna go i'm gonna maybe hit a seven on this oh really uh, okay how is i'm gonna go 6.75 so i was very if that okay. main event had been a proper finish i think it would have got the all seven and i'll tell you what yeah. seven's bloody good because there's not too many wrestling episodes now that i would give a seven to so again it's a tv paper well, tv paper issue but yeah oh, i enjoyed it yeah exactly and as you say that the primary objective of this was 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 really selling the pay-per-view and you got an entertaining couple of hours out of this as well so um that is great so dan thank you very much for joining in uh, the show and you're going to be regular going forward so we're going to speak to you next month I think we're doing the New Japan stuff next month aren't we uh, yes. in July at some point so we've there. so Fight TV have got a list of um, a list of 12 sort of greatest New Japan uh, matches uh, or, or certain sort of must-sees that we're going to run through next month so where can people find you online? At Dan PFFC uh, previously spoke about Fulham and the Dallas Cowboys but now I work a bit of Mid-South in every so often, so... Yeah, why not? Free to follow. Yeah, absolutely. And we, we're uh, Fulham have got our first game back after uh, after lockdown on Saturday, so, uh, yeah. Keep maybe, your, mute, maybe mute me on Saturday. Yeah, keep your finger... Yeah, back, follow me, please. Yeah, <laughs> yeah mute, mute us both, because I think we're probably both in bad moods. But, yeah, Dan, thank you very much again, and we should chat soon. No worries, man. 
thank you very much for listening to this week's episode. If you've enjoyed the podcast, please head over to iTunes where you can subscribe and perhaps you'll even be kind enough to leave me a lovely five-star review, which would absolutely make my day. If you're interested in guest hosting, please contact me via the Mid-South Moments Twitter account, which is at MidMoments. And I look forward to speaking to you all again very, very soon.